This is a loving robot podcast, recounting tales from EverQuest directly from the people who worked on it. And now here's your host, Sean Lord. You that don't know who the heck I am, um, I'm Bill Fisher. Uh, Sean and I worked together about 20 years ago on a game called EverQuest. That's probably why you're here, because this is all about EverQuest and other kinds of cool stuff in MMOs. Um, I worked on Scars of Velius. Um, I did some stuff in Luckland after the team shipped the game. Uh, not all the features necessarily. I worked on some EverQuest 2, some EverQuest Online Adventures, um, Planes of Power Prepo. Uh, I was ultimately lead game designer on Vanguard Saga of Heroes. Um, I was on Rift at Triana Worlds. I was everything from a contract game designer to the executive producer. Uh, I ran a couple of other uh, titles there that were being built uh, before we shut down, uh, slash sold, slash all that sort of stuff. Uh, so I've been around for a while, and I've done a lot of different stuff, some of which uh, you like, some of which you won't. <laughs> I've got the feeling a lot of it is something like the uh, that the era that you were on EQ is definitely, definitely loved. Um, you know, that was sort of that, that a lot of people come in the era where a lot of people have a lot of nostalgia. Um, oh, yeah. and then there've uh, been a ton of some questions. Of, some of the best zones ever in the game. I'll still, uh, I'll still stand to that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then, uh, they've had questions about the other games and other companies as well. That's why I was like, you may have to come on more than once. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what we get through, um, this afternoon. How long do you have? I, I, I've asked this in the past. I slotted in about two hours for this. Okay. Uh, I'll keep an eye on the time then. Want to spend time with you. It just depends on if my work slack starts exploding for some reason. Uh, everything looks good right now. So cool. We're good. All right. And I may make you a little bit bigger on the screen just again in keeping, keeping the VOD in mind. So I'll play around with that and then we'll get rolling. Um, all right, so I'll keep an eye on chat for questions. You keep an eye on chat for questions. There's been the back and forth in chat about Lucklin versus Lucelin versus what was the other just got off of one. Uh, there was some. It's Lucklin, guys. Of Lucklin, it's it's Lucklin. I don't care if anyone else ever on the EverQuest team later says it's something different. They're wrong. Uh, yeah, they're 100 percent wrong. I was in the room where it happened. It's. <laughs> This is what uh, this is what I've always I mean, loved about you as well. Trost could probably come in and be like, "No, it's Lucelin," uh, but Trost was off the team by the time we were actually making uh, Space Cats on the Moon, uh, which Amanda uh, did the pitch for. If I didn't realize that. that, I did not realize that. The weekend, Amanda, um, I think it's Polk now uh, did yeah. uh, the pitch for that. Uh, right on. Yeah, she did, yeah, she did the pitch for that over a weekend, and then people came in and were like, "Oh wow, we're making Lucklin, and it's Space Cats on the Moon. Cool." Yeah, I think other project. I was on other projects at that time, so I was like, "Oh, okay." Dude, I was so just like heads down trying to my trying my damnedest to get on the team that I I, I missed a lot of those types of conversations during that period. Yeah. I mean, that time period is really a blur. Um, all of my time at SOE is a, was a blur. Uh, I was either 19 turning 20 or 20 turning 21 when I started. Um, I had moved from Washington State uh, all the way down to San Diego. And my first day on the job, uh, I, I remember this very clearly. Uh, I, I go to the front desk and they're like, it's like, oh, I'm Bill Fisher. I'm, I'm here, f- here to start my job. 
and you know they scurry off through the through the locked gates and doors and stuff and then a little while later i think it was jeff butler comes down and he's like oh wow we forgot we hired you that and uh yeah there was no computer set up for me on my first day uh it was it was pretty rad uh they gave me literally gave me a pad of paper and a pencil and said uh write an epic quest and i was like what's an epic quest and they were like you tell us uh, that was, that <laughs> that's the test one. Uh, that was the test yeah and here's your cube uh, you're going to be sharing it with this other guy uh, are you ready for this I'm like yes sure I guess so uh, I play a lot of EverQuest I love EverQuest uh, so let's do this <laughs> Yeah, dude, it's it's funny. I I feel like I ran into something similar during Lucklin, uh, where it was like, oh, we need a B-Sword Epic Quest. Um, have fun. I'm like, uh, that's so much responsibility. Okay, yeah. Yeah, no, so like for, for people asking in chat, I did the Warrior, Necro, and Bard Epic Quests. Um, that was my first task on the live team before we started up Felius. Um there was a bunch of other like live work cleanup stuff that I wanted to do as a player, like coming in. Um, Kedge Keep had a bunch of problems with Finnegal. Like on the server I played on, I played on Vishon. I was eventually in Fires of Heaven. Um, there was problems with it was where all the Japanese players at the time played, um, and they would get very competitive. Right, guilds are very competitive about who can kill what spawns. Right, uh, so there used to be a way at Finnegal where you could just keep spawning all of his ads. So, like, if you want to be a jerk and not let the other group kill them, uh, you could just keep spawning ads, and there'd be, like, 500 of those uh, seahorses down there. So, I, I, my third or fourth day after getting access to the database and everything, I, I fixed that, because, yeah, that kind of pissed me off. And I couldn't just kill Finnegal when I wanted to. Yeah. So, you've got a number of... Uh, what I'll do is, every once in a while, I'll break... Uh, to look at some questions. Uh, mods are sending me questions right now in Discord, so I'll be looking down at that. I'll also be scanning chat for events like Tom Toby has just arrived. Um, and so I think, Bill, Tom may have been after your time. I worked with Tom, and you're still there, aren't you, Tom? Um, Tom came in. I know you did the Froglock animations when we did Legacy of Akesha. And Scorn just gave Tom a Tier 1 sub. Thank you, Scorn, for your generosity. Um, you started on, you started on pop. That's right, Tom. Cool. Uh, I was still there. Um, when pop pre pro started, I think I wrote a couple of documents and then I was gone. Yeah. Cause you guys at that point you were, you were heading over to sigil, right? Yes. Yeah. We, we split off and did that whole thing. Like my, so my last week at, um, Sony online, like I knew, I knew I was going to be leaving in the not too distant future. Um, and I think it was either rich or Fister, I don't remember who came to me and was like, come back to the EQ1 team. Uh, we have this zone that needs to get done because uh, we didn't ship it with Lucklin, uh, which was Vexthal, unfortunately. Um, and I still regret this to this day. Vexthal was done by me in one week. Um, That's right. Before I quit. Uh, and then I remember emailing a variety of people on the team because I made a terrible, terrible, terrible mistake, which was putting blind on those NPCs initially. Um, and the tuning wasn't great because it had never been tested. Um, yeah, but I remember mailing Rich and some other people and like not getting a response of like, hey, uh, just played this on the live servers. Uh, maybe we should remove blind. Um, 
this is a bad play experience. And then uh, just crickets. Cause you know, I- I'm pretty sure a number of people felt at that moment in time, like betrayed by me leaving or whatnot. I mean, we're a pretty tight knit group. So I don't, I don't think that was it because as you said, I remember that period. I think there was just um, during that period, as you guys were leaving, there was a lot of like, Oh shit. What are we going to do? Right. Because yeah, with the exception of rich, I don't think we had any other experienced designers on the team. Like that's how I got my job. Basically. I remember, I remember there being, um, cause as you guys left training, training a dude, I don't remember his name. He ended up sharing an office with me for a while. I don't remember who was in the office with us. It was when I came back onto the team for that, but he was like an experienced guy from games. Uh, Hmm. I literally don't remember him. I remember going to lunch with him. I just don't remember his name. It's 20 years ago. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I'll have to think on that one as well, because I'm trying to think of the team back then. I remember Rich was the guy with experience. The rest of us were like apprentices that just got hired and we kind of ran with it. Um, I got a couple of questions from chat and I'm also uh, looking at some other feedback there. Well, I saw some like, Oh, wow's one week to, to do Vexal. We probably have some stories about other quick turnaround uh, zones that have been done. Yeah. Um, so you guys might remember the revamp of Kazakh Thule back in the day. Um, that was after Velius, after Luckland, during Luckland time period. I don't remember. It was, I remember coming back onto the team for a while and they were like, we wanted, I don't remember exactly how it came down. I think it came down from Smed or, or like just cascaded down through the, through the stuff of like, Hey, you know, it'd be really cool. Uh, if we redid a zone and made a higher level, we're like, we can do that. Um, and I think Fister was like, how fast can you guys get it done? And we were like, well, if we start right now, we can have it done tomorrow. Um, and it was four of us in a room redoing that. Um, I think you actually weren't in the room the whole time because you, it was me and Steve and Rich were in an, in a room together for a big, yeah, you guys had office and you were, and you were coming in and out of that room. Um, but rich, rich did all the rewards. I remember, uh, and it was obviously playtesting it and stuff. And Steve did all the events and I did like 90% of the population and monster creation and you were busting out on that same stuff and just filling in wherever. But that was a that was twenty four hours of our lives that we just gave to EverQuest players. <laughs> yeah, man the the, the twenty four hour revamp was uh, it's that's interesting times. It was cool that we could actually get it done. Um, we did that again later on. We did it in two days though. Rich and I redid Chardock um, in a similar way. <laughs> Half to people twice the time. Uh, Thorazin and Tom Toby, thank you for the follows. Um, I'm going to read out a couple of questions that got sent over. Prime Balls, did you change your name and just add Prime to it? So Prime Balls and Mouth. Um, I only have two questions and I'm about to duck into a meeting. Were you expecting APW to be cleared so quickly when it first launched? Also, uh, who thought that the strong moss loot spawn timer and drop rate was a good combination. I don't know the answer to the second one. Uh, my answer to the first one was I was probably gone by the time APW actually hit the servers. Um, Andrew Krasnick, an amazing, amazing game designer that's gone very far in the industry at this point in time. I'm very proud of, um, he was the guy that was primarily behind that. And I was, you know, giving advice where I could as a lead and whatnot. But I mean, my expectation with raids is players are going to beat them pretty much instantly. Um, unless you put in some hard, hard, hard gear checks. Um, 
nature finds a way. Nature absolutely finds a way. Mm. I mean, I've seen raids downed on day one or within the first hour or two. It's not uncommon. It's not strange to me. Um, It just depends on what philosophy you want to go with, right? Like if you're going to put the super hard checks in, yeah, you can, I can, I can make you wait um, as well as I can make you, but that doesn't necessarily make good gameplay or a great experience. Cool. Um, Let's see balls. We'll see if uh, you're satisfied with that answer later. He's in here regularly. He'll let us know. Um, Bully Q bill. Can you tell us about the idea behind Siren, uh, Siren, the lunatic? So Siren, the lunatic was named after I got, I've forgotten his name. He was a designer that came up out of ops of all places. Um, I can picture him in my mind. Um, yes. I don't want I can to picture him poorly of anyone, but he made some poor choices with stuff happening on the test server at some point in time. And I think that's what caused his exit of the company. I was, um, I was wondering what it was. I just remember he wasn't there. Like yeah, I'm pretty sure he made there. some poor life choices of things you're not supposed to do on live or uh, other servers. Um, I don't know his name. I'm not going to name and shame, but yeah. um, it was based around him. He liked to RP a lot also on the test server. And I don't think it was him that made that character. That was, I believe, made by Tom Wells, probably. I think Tom did Sky. Mm. I'm not sure. It's been so long. Um, Interesting. I don't remember who actually did it. But the character was based on him, and he was just a representation of kind of the RP of that dude. I mean, Siren the Lunatic was crazy dude. Yeah, he was an interesting guy. Yeah. I mean, he was very much like Siren the Lunatic, um, which a lot of us kind of were like Siren the Lunatic back then when we weren't sleeping, right? I mean... Yeah, it was crazy times. It's hard to... So it's hard to tell the story of those times, not have it seem sensationalized, and also not paint maybe an inappropriate picture, but it was very wild West and adrenaline filled. It was, if, if you made it into a TV show, people would think it is completely satire. Um, they would think that this is all a joke. I mean, yeah, parts of it are hilarious, but I remember going to work on EverQuest and working anywhere between 14 and 16 hours a day, uh, on the regular, then going home and playing EverQuest for another four to six hours, uh, maybe sleeping, uh, and then ending up back in the office again. Um, and that wasn't like people were telling me. And it, mm-hmm. I mean, there were times they were telling us, but most of the times people weren't telling you, this is the timetable. This is, this is, you need to be here, butts and seats. I mean, I remember a couple of times of esprit de corps crunching, but a lot of the crunching was kind of self-inflicted um, at least for me uh, of wanting to get features in or wanting to make the zone better or not knowing how to use the tools enough to do it. Like we jack hacked so much stuff. Like when you start yeah. talking about how things were scripted on EverQuest one way back in the day, like people think I'm just, I'm making it up like invisible men shouting to invisible men, causing any uh, guys to despawn, which is the only event which happens, right? It was a, it was not a scripting system. Like I, I've talked to other designers that were on the product much later, right? Like Ian Noble, great guy. Right. But like when he was on the product, there was a scripting system, right? Right. Like the stuff that Steve Burke pulled off the stuff that we collectively did back then without that is it blows my friggin' mind still. Yeah. Like, I will crazy. tell junior designers that stuff now. And they're like, that doesn't seem right or possible. I'm like, 
Well, buckle up, kiddo, because many things are possible when you're super motivated uh, and you love the product you're working on. Absolutely. So I'm going to hit some more of these questions. Frank the Bank, to your um, to your point, you may want to repost it. I'm going to go down the list. I'm just catching up on questions. Um, so it may be in here, though at a glance I don't see it. So catching up now. Um, Reindeer Knight asks, did you work on the Bard Epic Quest? Yes, I did every aspect of it. And then there's a comment that darn white dragon scale took you so long to get. And then that I think leads to Frank's question as well. When you did the Bard Epic, do you remember Eldrig the Old and Skyfire Mountains? No, I do not remember. I do unfortunately do not remember something from twenty years ago. <laughs> I've had that problem a lot. I'm getting older, right? I'm I am forty years old now, uh, which is not that old, but uh, the gaming industry does age you. I know you're the old man here. I'm just the person that was on EQ before you. <laughs> well, it's funny because someone in chat earlier said uh, they were like, how old was he when he worked on the game? He looks like he's 25. Yeah, I was I was 19 turning 20 or 20 turning 21. I don't remember which. I mean, I remember that I couldn't get a 401k through Sony because I was too young at the time. Like there's an age you have to be. It might be 20 or 21. I don't remember which. Uh, so That's- after several months, I was able to actually get the 401k. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, but it was, I mean, it seemed like there are a number of young people, but yeah, you're, you're definitely really young. And to your point, you know, and I mean, guys, when, I'll get yeah. back to the question for Jeff sure. Butler but has told me, um, you know, like he told Brad at one point in time, like, I don't, I don't know if we should hire this kid. I have D and D characters older than him. <laughs> right. On. And, uh, Oh, da, da, da. to your point though, about playing, you bring up a great point that comes up in here a lot. Um, people ask, so did you, did you play when you worked? And I was like, dude, we worked a ton yes. and then went home and played a ton and then went back exactly. to work. That, that was our lives. I mean, we were a bunch of 20 something dudes that were working on their dream game. Like I've, I've loved every product I've worked on since then, but there's nothing compares in the same way to, you know, when I got into the industry, when I worked on EverQuest, there's, there's been a lot of blood, sweat and tears, but it's never been the same. I mean, for better and for worse, obviously, like there's, there's plenty of terrible things uh, that went on. uh, But there was certainly an adrenaline high and a, just a connection with it. Everything was so, I really, I don't even have words to describe it guys. I I could only imagine it was, it was, is. The closest thing I can think of is it's probably what it felt like to be like to be in a, a certain band during a period when like that scene is first popping up, right? It's like uh, being a member of Minor Threat in DC when it's popping up, or being Metallica in LA when that's popping up. Like, not to say we were rock stars, but it was just this constant. Your your passion is what you did all the time, and there's so much energy and yeah. potential built up. Yeah. And so like my situation, when I moved down, um, my brother, my older brother, uh, who also played EverQuest with me, uh, he was like, I'm going to, I'm going to move down with you. And he, he works in kitchen stuff and I'm going to, you know, I'll get a job and we'll, we'll be there together and stuff. You never lived alone. Uh, and then he ended up not getting a job. Um, so I was paying on my amazing $28,000 a year salary, uh, for a place to live in San Diego for me and my brother and paying for everything. Um, and he was playing EverQuest all day. Uh, so that's how I got into Fires of Heaven on Vishon. I was in 
what I would consider the actual Uber Guild. I mean, come on, all you guys at Blizzard and stuff that were in Afterlife and whatever, or Legacy of Steel. I mean, cool, cool beans, bros. Uh, but no, no, I, I just like to talk a little shit with that. I was, I was a minor, minor, minor part in in uh, in FOH. I mean, mostly in there because my brother would two box me at times. Um, you know, prior to that, I I ran a guild as well and stuff like that. We were a pretty minor guild. Um, a lot of good friends that ended up going into FOH as well uh, later on. But yeah, but yeah, well, Alex Fuhrer, Fuhrer was my guild leader. I had phone calls with him a, a couple of times where we were having a debate on the on the live uh, floor, uh, and I was like, "Well, I've got his friggin' phone number. Uh, do you want me to just call Alex and ask him the question?" Uh, which he didn't know who I was until way, 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 way after um, I'd been in the guild for a while. Like, way after. I think it was at a fanfare. Uh, a bunch of us got together. And I remember getting uh, pretty sloshed with, with Alex and, like, Sean, the Scaled Claw. Well, he wasn't drinking because he was, like, literally 12 at the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my brother and a bunch of other people and Brad and, and all kinds of great stuff. Yeah, those are those are some crazy crazy times. Um, so so yeah, I, I hope that gives me enough street cred to those of you that play the game. Yes, I I played the damn game, guys. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you have to worry about street cred. You're good here, and thank you guys for the rock star uh, comments earlier. Makes me feel good. Um, so back to questions. EverQuest Forever says, uh, whose idea was it to remove Howling Orb from BT 1.0? Um, that, that may not be a question for Bill. He's gone at that point. Um, we'll have to ask Rich or, when he gets in here. Save that question. Ask Rich Waters when he's here. He'll probably know. Um, Shaka Brain, uh, maybe a dumb question, but were you guys actually designing, developing these features? Um, or designing so do you mean were we programming it or were we just designing um we didn't just write stuff on paper and have people do it that's not how things worked um we had the tool set that we had and we made what we could out of the tool set so like for myself and, and for sean uh as far as i know you never did any art right so like uh there would there would be a general like right up for the expansion, right? So like when, when I got there, Velius had a document that was written originally by Bill Trost um, describing what Velius was supposed to be. And then, you know, kind of the high level version of what the zones were. And then individual zones were eventually tossed out to different uh, designers on the team. Um, I think Bill Coyle might've been the one handing it out. I remember having a meeting uh, a couple of weeks Maybe. in of like, who wants to take, no, no. I remember having a meeting out front actually, uh, with with the, the the content guys and Jeff just kind of like listing out zone names like who wants this who wants that and I remember standing up and and like he says he says a uh, Temple of Ishan it's supposed to be the highest level raid zone and I, I said yep I'll do that that's me I'll do that one uh, Kale Kale the, the city of giants yep, yep that I'm doing that one uh, yep uh, and then then later on I got Velk's lab uh, I inherited it actually from Siren the Lunatic. Um, because it didn't get finished. So that became 100% mine. But basically, uh, it would go from that high-level write-up, the artists would do the layouts back in the day, um, like, with minimal design input, actually, um, mm. back then. Because the original EQ1 uh, art tool, it 
wasn't like Maya or 3DS Max. It, I've been trying to describe it to people. I've, I've tried to describe it to people. Imagine, like, I never used it, but this is kind of the description I would give it. Imagine having to build a house literally out of bricks, and all of the bricks have to connect together, and there's no undo. Um, and then when you're done with it, lighting takes, like, six weeks to do. Like, we had machines running just for lighting, uh, that would take three to six weeks running. Like, oh my god, I hope the power supply doesn't stop. Um, that, that changed, uh, Velius. I think that changed for Lepland. It was a big feature that got added. Um, yeah. 3DS Max, uh, Kelsey was testing it during Velius. And I remember he was working, because uh, Bill Coyle actually did have a lot of input on, on the layout of um, the Dwarf City. And Hold on one second, Bill. Yeah. I tried to make something better. Oh, no. And then I may have made it worse. Try again. Testing, testing. Can you hear me? Okay. Okay, guys. What I tried to do there was turn off the ducking because I realized I might have been talking over him and probably smashing his input. So what I'll do is not do what I just did, and I'll just shut up. What I, what I'll wave maybe at you to let you know when I'm going to interrupt. You attempted to tune the game, and you ruined it all. And Jasmine just told me there's a German word for that. So, yeah, I screwed it up by trying to make it better. Sorry, chat. Sorry, Bill. Both of us sound perfect. Thank you, Blue Lork. Awesome. You're flattering. So, 3DS Max was, uh, Kelsey was the test bed for it, and I don't remember the engineer working on making the importer work for it. Bye, Tom. Such a game changer. Such a game changer for the art team. Like, ridiculous, ridiculous game changer. Like, I don't think those, you know, those three and six months expansions you guys ended up doing later uh, would have been humanly possible with the original art tool set. So, TLDR, artists made the layouts uh, with that really terrible original tool, uh, and designers went in and did all of the, pop- what, what I would call population, right? All of the placement of every single spawn point. Uh, a designer at that point in time was completely responsible for every aspect of the zone, from lore to itemization to the difficulty of the monsters. Um, there was generally a spell dude or a people that had access to the spell database. Uh, and you might go like, I shared a cube with Javier. And during my time period, Javi was, he was the spell guy. Um, so I could just turn to him and be like, well, I'm doing this thing in TOV. I need X and Y. And he'd be like, number one, shut the fuck up, Bill. Uh, number two, uh, maybe I'll get to that. Okay, here it is. Um, go kill yourself. No, yeah. I, loved, I loved him. He's actually he was fun. Javier. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, it's it's friggin' awesome. I'm so happy for him. I He's really- been a doctor for, for a little while. When I saw that, I was like, wow, okay. That makes sense. Not shocked, but yeah, man. Super cool. Bill, I've got a long list of questions that I'm going to start powering through or chat's going to revolt on us. Um, Chat, I'm aware of your questions. we got about at least 10 or 12 lined up here. Epic uh, asked, what was the intent behind the sleeper fight? How did it come about? I remember it was such chaos back then. You will have to ask John Capozzi about that, uh, Kendrick. Uh, He was the guy that did Sleeper's Tomb. Um, like, I'm pretty, sh- I, I'm not going to speak for him. This is my recollection of 20 years ago. 
right? The intent was to have this really cool event where you awaken the sleeper and he's never, he's never intended to die. He's not supposed to die. Like when conquest did that, uh, that was a thing. There were problems. Uh, yeah, he was not meant to die. He was meant to go and rampage the zones and it was supposed to be kind of this world event that people get to experience. Um, from what I understand, but you should definitely get Capozzi on here and ask him that, that question. Cause he was, that was him, right? Like, again, he owned that zone. So it doesn't, didn't matter who on the team wanted to have input on that, unless it was Jeff as the producer or Brad coming in as, you know, the EP and, and VP, uh, the designer that owned it, owned it. Yeah. Uh, so it's funny. One of the things that's been really cool about doing this stream and, and having these discussions and having the questions come in, um, or people will mention something. And as soon as you said Capozzi, I was like, cause I was sitting in CS when all the shit went down with sleeper and, um, Jeff ran over and everybody ran over. I was trying, like, as soon as you said Capozzi, he materialized over the shoulder of Paul. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. There are a lot of, um, there are a lot of Luckman questions about stuff that I know Capozzi worked on. So I've got to track him down as well. Um, yeah, I saw, I watched, I watched some of the VODs yesterday and, uh, like the, the killing of, uh, was it Seru? Um, so I'm pretty sure that actually was fires of heaven. I wasn't online for that, but I remember it being described as a commando raid where people repelled in from the ceiling and then ganked him. And I do remember rich changing it to, um, all the loot to, you know, such and such of sad exploitation. I remember that. <laughs> That's right. I think, I think my brother was actually in on that kill. Uh, on his wizard, but I was not there. My character could have potentially been there, but I wasn't there. Uh, you know, because I was a cleric, so two boxing a cleric ain't too bad uh, for somebody. N- to do. Not that anybody would ever share their account information if they are in a raiding guild uh, that would be against terms and conditions. But hey, um, so let's see, Vulork. Was Blade of Carnage re, uh, revamped from 15? <laughs> Some of these questions are very specific, um, I but I'll the ask them. first fanfare I went and talked at where I, I remember being hung over because a bunch of the White Wolf guys had taken us out <gasps> at a place called Bowhangers. And then me and I think Lawrence had to give a talk on items. And I remember like having one of my first ever hangovers while having to give that talk on loot and itemization. Anyways, continue the question, though. Yes. And uh, always, I learned, um, always avoid the white wolf guys during those events. Oh my God, that was painful. So Vrulor could ask, was Blade of Carnage revamped from 1523 to 1520, adding in Raging Blow before Luckland release? No idea. No idea on that one. We'll keep digging for that answer for you. Ixar Monkey, who made the sound effects for the Boglings in Echo Caverns? It's literally the funnest, the funniest sound whenever they, uh, get hit by melee that's a question i remember that at velius when so sometime after i started actually we hired the guy a new guy to make audio for everquest and he did all the composing for velius as well and i think he continued on after with that so i i i can imagine this guy i can imagine being in his office at one point in time it was over by brad's office um and talking to him about stuff. So I would assume it was him, but long time ago, he's, he was a older gentleman, not like old gentleman, but older gentleman. So he's probably retired by now. I'm not sure. Um, 
who that would be. If you look in the manual, you can probably find who the audio yeah, was. Because we have, I have the manual somewhere. I'm not going to go look for it right now, but I got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a ton of stuff in storage in Austin that I'm going to have to get through. We're going we're gonna to have some giveaways because I was trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, so, new question. Hashpipe asks... How were you able to turn whole zones over in a day, week, but every launch was a bust? Oh, I'm going to chime in on that comment. Uh, what was the issue with servers back then, and are they comparable to current situations in MMOs? So, Bill, I'll let you go first, and then I'm going to throw in a little bit on that one as well. Uh, I mean, you could do a zone in a day with no iteration, and it would be as good as what you made it. Right. I mean, Garbage in, garbage out. Um, like to make something good and fun, uh, generally takes iterations in front of people. Like I, I this is kind of how I put game design um, when I talk to to new folks in the industry or, or folks that are interested in getting in. Um, if you did it right the first time, you got lucky. Yeah, and you can increase your luck with experience and knowledge. But if you did it right the first time, you still got lucky. To this day, if I go in and I do a feature or I touch something, I'm like, whew, that was actually fun. Wow. Uh, great. Uh, how much do I need to improve it now, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. an iterative process and make it better, make it better, make it better. So, uh, right, those, that zone that we did in 24 hours, that was a roll of the dice, whether that was going to be fun or not, because we sure couldn't play it. We had our best approximations of knowing what those hit point values and damage values were going to mean. Uh, right, which gave us obviously an edge of yeah. We weren't playing as hardcore as we were, because um, there were there were people on the team that that played EverQuest, but they didn't play EverQuest. Yeah, um, like I remember that was part of the reason why I got pulled back over um, after Luckland shipped to revamp stuff and to do Vexthal is because like people that had been on the team actually as long as I had. Um, didn't know how to do itemization properly, like what right. players actually wanted. They didn't, they were smart people. They were great people, but they literally didn't have the context of a high end player and what they were looking for out of an item. Well, we were building multiple games at the same time, right? Like we were yeah. building, yeah, you know, because the raid game was so much different than like the, how do you make good and i know trade skills advance with the raid game and more applicable and stuff like that but how do you create like this cool rp experience and really focus on maybe trade skills before they're more integrated into the high end etc or some of the other stuff versus like it's a different type of experience when you're doing something for 100 people the game yeah having context for the entire game was very difficult so i'm not trying to slam anyone when i'm saying Mm. i'm saying like i was brought on for a specific, brought yeah, yeah, yeah. specific purpose, right. To fill that role. Um, and I, I do remember it being weird to like be mentoring a person that started around the same time I started in a thing that felt like, Oh, this is every day. You know, like this is an everyday task. This should not require any thinking whatsoever. Um, but I was also, like I said, 20 years old and asshole. So me too. I was, I was like 24, 25. But like I tell people all the time, like you don't realize I'm pretty, I'm pretty mellow now, but man, I was a high strung asshole back then. I remember the, yeah, I mean, dude, uh, both of us, like, I, I know like you can ask Scott this, right? Like he, he and I had overlap at Sony for a little while, right? But not, a, not a ton of overlap, like four or five months, uh, sort of overlap. Um, and he was like, I remember talking to him about starting at Tryon and like, 
you're not sure if I'm just going to have to fire you in the first three months, dude. So let's bring you on his contract, right? Like <laughs> legitimately, you know, well, you've always been very open with your opinion, Bill. And so, and I respect that about you. I, I can be a polarizing individual, um, but I have certainly mellowed out over the years. Uh, but man, that's, that's something that only really comes with time. Uh, at least for me, it's only just taken time and age and all that sort of stuff. Like <laughs> same here. All right. Another question. And yes, the guy just fell, but you don't really die when you fall off of the, the tree house anymore. So he'll be fine. Um, let's see. Uh, getting back to your question, extremities for bill. Oh, wait, before that, just on the last comment, sorry, hash pipe guys, we, uh, I remember, I remember when we brought Legacy of Akesh out. Quick turnaround. We had the highest concurrent player count that we had ever had, 108,000 concurrent players, which was a big deal for us at the time. The servers didn't come down for a week. Server instability, that's not a, that's not a requirement to launching a product. I think, um, we got better and better at that. So, uh, what's going on now? We'll have to talk to the, the new devs in terms of the issues and stuff, but a lot of it, guys, it's a 21-year-old game. It doesn't get easier as you go when you're maintaining these things. No, maintaining is harder. Yeah, it's like, crazy. Everything just gets crusty and old and... Fragile. We think it should work that way. Oh, oh, we'd like to use a newer version of Visual Studio. Nope. No. Nope. <laughs> or, or why does the script that used to trigger these other scripts that then triggered the scripts that are critical just break? And does anybody know where this script even came from when you're like looking at bringing servers up and stuff? We'll, we'll dig into that more with people as they come in because we'll ask some more tech people, but it's not easy. Dude, even, even back then though, like, um, I don't know if this was gone by the time you were doing stuff, Sean, but there were machines where you literally could not export your zone from, uh, from a data standpoint, or it would just come out completely corrupt. Yes. We didn't know what caused it. We literally didn't know what caused it. So like, once you found out you had a bad box for that, it was just like, can't export from that one anymore. Yep. Good luck. Wish I had a second box, but I, I don't now. Um, new question. So for Bill, what do you think went wrong with Vanguard for a game that had so much, um, so much world size, incredible classes, open world dungeons that were incredibly massive, et cetera, et cetera. Even with all this problem problems, Vanguard had one of the best worlds I played in the sheer size scope design of the dungeons, open world camps, et cetera, were all so much fun and well done. I think I could write a book on, in retrospect, what went wrong uh, with Vanguard. Um, there's no one individual person. There's no one individual thing. Uh, everyone cared so incredibly deeply about it. Um, everyone in leadership, a lot of the boots on the ground cared super deeply. Um, the scope of what we were trying to do uh, was to a degree insane. Uh, that's a huge portion of it. Um, the fact that it actually did ship at all is, I'm still proud of that fact. Because mm. If you guys remember that time period, there was plenty of MMOs that did not ship. Um, that just straight up, you know, like Kickstarter today, right? Like straight up just never happened. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, the question is a little bit too broad and i'm not going to throw anyone under the bus i'll throw myself under the bus uh a lot for that i pushed back on some areas didn't push back hard enough on others um but yeah it was a big big product and a lot of time 
uh, and a changing marketplace. Uh, I mean, we're hitting that transition to the World of Warcraft era. And I mean, World of Warcraft is the evolution of EverQuest in a lot of ways. Yeah. Some people will say like, oh, no, it's easier, whatever, right? Um, and I'm not going to say that blindsided us, but the game we were making, and I even had to tell designers this, right? Like, the vision for the game is not that. The vision for the game is this, and we are paid to make that vision, right? Um, so we can advise against X or Y or get this feature added, but... You know, at the at the end of the day, as as a designer in any field, you are there to make something that someone's asking you to make, or you're there to entertain somebody, right? So there's there's some amount of getting past the EQ one era of those early days of part of it's a job, right? So I, I don't know how to, to other like really articulate this as best I can because I no, yeah, I think you've done a good job, dude anyone under the bus, I'm going to throw myself under it first, right? Like a lot of stuff went wrong. Uh, had we all been sleeping insane? And I mean, so this is something people probably, we haven't gone into, right? So I, uh, I played muds with Brad. That's Brad McQuaid. That's how I got mm -hmm. my start in the industry. Right. So when I was like 13 years old, I met him. Uh, he was in my guild. You know, we were part of the same guild on a mud on Toro mud back in the day. And, you know, at some point in time, you know, he's, he's talking to us and, um, he's like, well, I'm not going to be around much anymore. I've got this job thing that's, that's starting up. It's really, really cool. You know, and a couple of years later, you know, we find out, oh, making a graphical mud, like, oh, what the heck. Right. And then like other people start disappearing from the mud, like Ryan Palacio, one of the original mm. EQ designers came from the same place. Like he went to work on it. Um, but I'd had that connection with Brad from the mud. And when EverQuest came out, I remember being in a mall. Uh, with my brother at like a uh, Babbage's or something uh, and seeing it sitting on the shelf. And I'm still thinking to myself, like who wants a graphical mud? That's stupid. I love mudding. Like I used to dream in text um, and I see it sitting on the shelf and I point to it and I say, Hey, I know some guys that worked on that. And my brother who's never played a computer game in his life, he played video games, all console. was like, Oh, if you know some guys that worked on it, let's buy it. And that's how I got into playing EverQuest, I reconnected with a bunch of other friends uh, from the mud. Uh, eventually reconnected with Brad. Uh, I mean, I was playing with him on launch, you know, shortly after launch uh, on Vijon. Um, and I had some opportunities to interview for EQ2. Uh, ended up not getting hired on for that because, uh, not to sound bitter, uh, a person that three years before that had no experience in, in video game design uh, said, this guy doesn't have any experience, so let's not hire him. Um, so yeah, that, that was, that was cool. But I was, I was on a Vox raid. I was leading a Vox raid, uh, living at home and a guild member goes link dead. And I'm like, okay, crap. We got to wait for the poll. And my mom shouts like, Hey, Bill or Billy, you know, whatever she's calling me. Uh, you got a phone call here about EverQuest. And I'm like, ah, oh, shit. It's probably the guy that went link dead. And he's going to tell me he can't get back online. Um, and no, it's not. It's, it's Jeff Butler. He says, hi, is this Bill Fisher? And I'm like, yeah, uh, this is Bill Fisher. What is this? It, uh, well, so I'm Jeff Butler. I'm the producer of EverQuest. And uh, Brad told me that I should hire you. Uh, do you want to come work on EverQuest? And I said, y yeah. And they're like, when can you start? And I was like, how about a month from now? Um, and then I packed all my shit together and moved down and started working on EverQuest. Um, and no, Raid was not canceled. Uh, we were <laughs> uh, Vox. Uh, 
but yeah, that's, that's how I got my start in the industry. I knew Brad. I came on as a, a quote unquote friend of Brad. It was, um, a little bit of stigma to work through, right? Because it was viewed as nepotism. Uh, but let me tell you, I mean, I worked my friggin' ass off to get through and over that. Um, and I became, you know, more and more friends with him in real life, obviously, right? Once, once I was working down there and stuff, you know, he knew I was a kid that had just moved down there. Um, and we played games together every friggin' night. We played EQ together. We played other stuff together. We did all of that stuff uh, between everything else that was going on at SOE, right? He always looked out for me. Um, sorry, gets a little. Uh, no, it's cool, man. There have definitely been some feels moments on this stream already. I had to, I had to literally roll away from the camera. Yeah. And so if you need to, if you need to bounce sideways, it's been done before. I've set precedent. Um, and it took me a few minutes. Um, but yeah, man, it's an important part of your life, and, and definitely, yeah, makes sense. Uh, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be where I am today. Absolutely. I miss him so much. I'll be right back. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, dude. No, no, no. Take your time. I will handle some business in the meantime with you guys that are being extremely rad. Tejed, thank you for your follow. It's been 20 minutes, but I didn't forget you, buddy. Lord Lion-O, thank you for your kindness in gifting the sub to Reindeer Knight. Balls, I will say your full name for this one. Balls and Mouse gave out five tier one community subs. Thank you very much. A lot of love in chat. Thank you, guys. Dude, it's tough. It is a tough one. That I think that period in our lives, and especially for Bill, you know what I mean? Like, none of us would be where we're at just like the you know just like the memorial says like we would not be here without him we would not be here without the game um and it's it's weird like hindsight's hindsight is what it is but yeah i wish i could go back in time and really fully appreciate the opportunity and the people that made it possible back then So EverQuest Forever, congrats. Big Bad Jeff, congrats. Chinchilla, Cayenne, Oin32, congrats all of y'all. Hey, I'm a little more composed, so. Right on, dude. Like I said, I had to, you know, and and I wasn't wasn't that close, but just the idea of the opportunity, like when it hit me, um, you know, when it came up in chat, like I just had to roll off and take a few minutes. We are going to get into some other questions, and and I think that'll help, right? Uh, so Hyperplasma Shortcake said, what was something you wanted to design in EQ but wasn't possible with the tech at the time? Oof. Um, a, lot of, a lot of what I wanted to do back then 
uh, was very based on playing Toral Mud uh, and whatnot. So Toral Mud was uh, Faerun themed. It was Forgotten Realms themed. Um, mm. it, it was amazing. I loved it. I mean, I, I lived it. I had 365 days played in two years. So 50% of my time was doing that in over two years. Um, so there was this amazing thing uh, in the in Jotunheim, right, which is land of the frost giants, uh, which was an invasion of the fire giants. Uh, so this might start sounding familiar to people from some other games I've worked on, but um, that zone would actually change and be invaded by fire giants. Like you'd be doing it. It was a rare pop. Like it wasn't just like a rare pop mob. It was a rare pop version of the entire friggin' zone. Right. So you go into Jotunheim and you're like, holy crap, the fire giants from Muspelheim are invading. And there was this much more amazing loot, much harder raid mobs, all this stuff. Like, and we're talking raid on a mud back then when it was like 20 plus person raid, all this sort of stuff. Um, and that always, I always wanted to make that invasion uh, in EverQuest. And had I had the time, I probably could have. And we did stuff. Steve did stuff similar to that invasion, like the ring war and stuff. Um, I just never got a chance to do it myself. Uh, I mean, I had a lot of other stuff on my plate at the time, right? Yeah. I, had, I had TOV and, uh, and Kale and, and Belks and a bunch of other crap going on. Uh, but yeah, that, that invasion is something I, I would, you know, it's one of the reasons why I, when Jeff said, uh, Kale, City of the Giants, I was like, me, that's me. Yes, I, I need to work on that. I need to do that. Um, yeah, so that's that's one of the things that I never got to do, right? I never got to do like a an invasion of kale or an invasion using the giants like that. Um, and thankfully, Steve got to do that. It was awesome. So, right on. Um, and again, chat just scrolling through. Thank you guys for your support. Um, uh, can't I can't thank you individually. Uh, it'd take a while, but uh, definitely saw it and uh, appreciate it. Um, there's a question that came up beforehand. It was given to me before we started. I want to make sure I don't miss it, and then I'll get back into the questions from chat. Um, Zade God asked, um, an unfinished quest with Santalak, um, the Dragon of the Guards, COV on Western Wastes. If you're allied faction and you tell Santalak the king is dead, he congratulates you and demands proof, but I've never found a head that he will accept as a quest turn in. Can you think of anything there? I mean, we, we ended up putting it. So the, you're talking about the dragon outside of TOV, the guardian. If you had enough, is that who Zondalak was? Like, it was, um, Yelenak was the king of the dragons, right? Right, in, in the actual zone. Yeah, because, I mean, we ended up, <laughs> fun story related to this. Let's back up a second. Um, there's a quest to turn in the head of whichever faction leader you killed to get a reward, right? So you hand in the head of the dragon to uh, King Tormax, and you can get an item back, right? That's right. Um, I think it was two weeks before launch that was added because um, Jeff was walking by and I was like, hey, have you added the quests uh, to the leaders of the factions? And I'm like, what are you talking about, Jeff? And he's like, didn't, didn't you see me talk about that last month on, a, on, on PC Gamer? And I'm like, no, I've been too busy working. He's like, well, I guess you guys better go implement it. Um, like, there was no Jira. There was no task track. There was no nothing. It was literally like, you didn't, you didn't see that? Like, I, maybe I'm misremembering. That's how I recall it. No. I didn't, didn't sleep much. There was there was a schedule-looking thing on the whiteboard outside of Jeff's office 
um, until someone leaned up against it, I think, in the pizza line and wiped most of it off. That is the only schedule I remember. Oh wait, but that was that was Luckland. That wasn't even uh, that wasn't even Velius. So who knows? So I I mean, we realized we needed to do that anyways. Like we were like, oh yeah, that actually makes sense to do. Like I think what he originally had pitched to them and had imagined and probably had on a schedule somewhere that never got communicated (laughs) was right. Like actually having a quest line you could do with them, like you know a longer quest line sort of thing. And we definitely didn't deliver that. So we we met the check uh, the checkbox of what's on the back of the box by saying, oh, take the head of the other guy, get the reward. Uh, and then if you want to hand in any of those those rewards to swap out which version of it is, go for it, right? So, like, you get the warrior sword or whatever, hand the warrior sword in, you'll get the, you know, the wizard hat or whatever it was. I don't remember what they were exactly, but, yeah. Cool. Um, new question. Let's see. Uh, Kyan Tranquil, Bill, who made the original Grieg's End Zone back when it was scary? No stack mobs. They were triggered by traps. Lots of scary sound effects and emotes as you traveled through the zone. I- I wasn't there for that part of, uh, of Luckland development. I was off on EverQuest 2 and EQOA during that time period. For some reason, I think that was Kaposi again. It might have been. Uh, or was it Burke? Hmm. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. If it was it sneaky. I don't remember. I don't remember who it was. Well, it could have been Dan Ant, right? Maybe. Uh, so I've been trying to get Steve to to show up on this thing. And so if, if we can drag him on here at some point, maybe he'll know. Um, next question. Um, I, I just want to answer this one. Cause Frank, the bank is asking it when you worked on Velius, did you plan for people to do all three factions of quests? Um, Perfect. Yes. Be- because I created uh, all of those armor quests and all of that stuff. Uh, and I coordinated that amongst the other teams or the other people on the team, like going to Bill Coyle and being like, here's the items you're going to hand out. Uh, here's the gems you need to drop in these zones. Here's the armor pieces you need to drop in your zones, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so yeah, did totally plan on people working their way through that progression, um, you know, which is a little bit of against the RP and more for the power gamer, but, you know. Right on. And that was the next question on the list. So thank you for grabbing it. Xbox Fan UK asks, I would like to know who designed West Karana. It was so dead for such a huge zone. By dead, I mean lack of mobs and stuff to do. Oh, long before my time. That's the original yeah. team. So if you could get yeah. someone like uh, Ryan Palacio on here or Trost, uh, they could tell you. Um, it could have been Hutch, uh, who unfortunately recently passed away, Mike Hutchinson, um, mm-hmm. one of the original EQ designers. Um, I'm not sure. It's like that, that time period for me is like another age of legend of original, original development. Right. Um, like I know, I know some of the people from it, but a lot of people from that time period definitely got really burned out. And like when I came on board, there weren't a ton of original members, at least on the design side on the team at that point in time. Yeah. Everybody I knew was basically off on EQ2 or somewhere else at that point. Yeah. I knew of, didn't necessarily even know. Um, Let's see, Haslam, Feralist, and RTYT4627, thank you for your follows. Um, welcome. Bull EQ asks, can you talk about your time working on EQOA? It was an incredible MMO that many people don't get to experience, way ahead of its time for a console game. Yeah, so I, I'm not going to take any credit for anything on EQOA. So I came onto the EQOA team, um, and I think you have Ben Bell on the list to talk to. This is how I remember it, but everything's still a blur. Uh, I was on EQ2, which was in super pre-pre-pre-production, and EQOA 
was going on and we weren't as far as i remember we weren't footing the full bill for ekoa like another sony was footing the bill for it so we had actual milestones and deliverables that had to be done and one of their milestones needed uh population done right so i'm a guy that does population bill do you want to come work on this you're not happy on eq2 right now and i was like hell yeah um so my work was pretty limited just like populating some early zones to get Mm -hmm. us to that milestone so they could make it uh further playable um and then i think that was like two and a half maybe three months at the most of my life and then uh, i got the call to come back to everquest one like there was a, a strong need for me to come on there Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, as you mentioned, uh, Ben has expressed interest in coming on and Jeremy Ellis as well. Uh, he had worked on EQ- EQOA for a good bit, it seems like. So he was, he was there for a long time. Um, I think he's the guy that came in when I was like, oh, I got to go back to one. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure because him and I remember, you know, him and uh, Lawrence Poe and Amanda uh, Tarr at the time. Um, and Ben Bell, like I remember going to lunch with everyone and like going to get pho and stuff. Like those are the memories I have of that time. I don't have much memory of the work. <laughs> I have memory right. of some of the good times with the people, but not, you know, that great, uh, of the work itself. And somebody's asking, is there an item on Vulak's loot table named after me? No, because I named every item in there and I named them after other people on the team. And the general rule of thumb was never name something after yourself. Yep. So, if there is an item in um, in EQ named after me, it would be after my GM name, uh, which was uh, Breen. So, like, my character and one of Kaposi's characters are the characters mentioned in the story at the beginning of the Velius Manual. John Kaposi wrote that story as, as the intro. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Bunny asks, which of you... Which one of you and lunatic person was responsible for holes and slidey floors and Velks? Uh, She's been asking this all week, week, actually. This is not my fault. Um, That (laughs) is a combination, I believe, of Sabrina's. Sabrina's and Lauren. I feel like Lawrence had a hand in it, but Lawrence didn't make it. So Sabrina was the zone artist that made it. Uh, if you ever played Star Wars Galaxies, uh, she's also the person that mo-capped all the dancing for the females. Like, I forgot about her. Um, but she was one of the original um, artists. So she did that. I, I just don't, I don't remember exactly how the conversation went down, but it was there when I got the zone and I, I pushed back a little bit on it, but I was like, oh, it's within the theme, and this is what EverQuest is about. Let's let's leave it in. And I had to populate around that. Um, but there was no, like, like changing that would have been not like it is changing stuff in a game now. It would have been like, oh, well, we got to do a full zone export again. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> cool. Uh, let's see. Live Acoustic asked um, another EQOA question. So this may fall into sort of the response from um last the last time uh we talked yeah. about it what was it like to uh what was it like making zones in ecoa 400 years before the events in eq yeah definitely not my ballet unfortunately i wish i could give you and yeah. did sony own eq at the beginning that's actually an interesting tale um variant interactive so my first paychecks were from variant interactive mm-hmm. um and shortly after that it became sony online entertainment but before that, and before it was Red Eye, which is what, what Variant became, because the name was already taken, right? It, 
it's spun out of 989. Um, Smed was able to take, incubate it within that, and then I think you'd have to ask Smed really for sure. I don't know 100% for sure. This is my recollections from talks with Brad, right? Of they started making this game that wasn't, it didn't really align with what 989 was or that portion of Sony aligned with. Uh, and they were like, well, we'd like to take the IP and the property we're building and, and spin out. And they spun out into their own company and then got reacquired later after it was a massive success, right? Like, I remember Brad talking to me about how the projections for EQ1 were like, man, we're going to be so awesome and do so well for a game if we can just get 10,000 subscribers for six months. That was the metric of success for EverQuest 1. So imagine that when you end up with, you know, during my time period, it was at least half a million subscribers paying uh, $9.89 a month, that linked back to 989 Studios, uh, and then later $15 a month, which was a huge controversy when we raised to that. Um, Yeah, and I know there's been an article shared around in chat a few times. Um, The... uh, and it covers like the, that origin and the back and forth and Kelly Flock's involvement and then the, yeah, the whole yeah. breakaway. So if, if that gets shared again, then, um, if you, can, if you can get Smed to come on here, I'm sure he'd be more than happy to share. I mean, he was the guy in the room where it happened. He made it happen. I mean, EverQuest would not exist without Smed. I don't, I don't honestly, the, I've had like three conversations with Smed in my entire life. And one of them was at Brad's Memorial. Um, and that was probably the longest one I've ever had in my life with him. Um, I, I would know Smed well, but yeah. I'd love to have him on. But th- I, I, I'm, and maybe this is just a wrong recollection or whatever. But I, it goes back to the being 25 and an asshole. I, I don't know if I've burned that bridge back then, uh, and I don't know how busy he is. But you know what? Who knows? Maybe, maybe one day. I'm sure he's super busy. But every time I've ever seen him talk about EverQuest or recollect about those days, um, you know. He wants to talk about it. He's proud of it. He should be proud of it. He should be. Yeah. It it wasn't just Brad that made this happen. I mean, without Smed, there is nothing, right? Absolutely. None of none of this happened, right? Like none of it happened uh, without Smed. Yeah. Again, huge appreciation. Um, Going back, if I could go back and be more appreciative, man, I would. But yeah. So uh, at some point, I'll probably reach out to him. We'll see. It's weird, too, because he's still the big boss. So I'm like, I got to get the shit together on the stream a little bit. Got to make sure that I know how to size a discord window properly. So uh, we'll do some more iterations. Um, constantly EQ. Thank you for your prime sub. Um, sits all and constantly EQ. Thank you for following. Um, all right. So back to some more questions cause they keep coming in. Um, let's see. Nick asks, uh, what did you advise visionary realms to do with Pantheon? Are you still helping them? So my, my position is, so I, I'm still available to advise them. I'm not advising them in a gameplay capacity. Um, they have that under control. They have their vision for the game. I will give, you know, snippets here and there. Um, but I'm primarily there to help, uh, Chris Rowan, the CEO out with any sort of production questions he has, um, that sort of stuff. So I've been working more with their producer uh, and their CEO on some higher level stuff, not game design stuff, right? Like, I don't want to insert myself in any of that. They have their vision, they have their game. And if they have questions about how you publish a game or how you do this or how you do that, that's the sort of stuff I've helped with. Uh, here and there. Uh, and you know, I was having normal weekly calls with the producer and stuff like that and going over stuff. Um, 
I have a full-time gig right now, so I'm not doing that as much, but I'm always here available for them. But for those of you that are going to ask me about the gameplay of the game, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to insert myself in any of their, their gameplay. If they ask me, I have all kinds of opinions, uh, and I'm not going to share them here. Cool. Good answer. Thanks. I think that covers it. And I know um, a lot of people have questions, but I've also said, hey, I'll try to reach out and we'll see. I, I know people in chat, um, you know, they know folks there. So we'll see what we can do. I'm, I'm honestly just catching back up again on Pantheon and watching people's videos and stuff. It looks awesome. Anonymous Gifter gave Jay Smedley a tier one sub. Well, thank you, Anonymous Gifter. And if this is the Jay Smedley we were just talking about, um, uh, well, you heard what I said. Love to have you on at some point. Sorry if I was an asshole when I was young. Um, so, uh, C. That, Goodman. That is, so I, I wonder if, if that is Smed, if, if anyone remembers this story that also is listening. Um, I always confuse Jeremy Ellis and Jeremy Albert, but one of the Jeremys was a GM at the time, and there was a spam the chat server. Remember the chat server before you logged in? Um, mm-hmm. Because servers were down. Uh, there was a, there was a time, um, this is apocryphal even to me, right? Where Smed or someone like him said, Hey, everybody spam it. We need to, to, you know, stress test the server. So people start just, you know, ASDF, ASDF, whatever. But this individual starts spamming, um, kill your mother, kill your father, hail Satan, kill your mother, kill your father, hail Satan, something like that. Uh, and I think he was summarily fired and then rehired like the next day. Um, was that's he a story that I've been told. Yeah, that's a story I've been told. It was one of the Jeremy's. If one of the Jeremy's, if you're out there, uh, maybe you know. Or maybe if you have one of those guys on that knows, uh, maybe I'm just making that story up in my uh, in the fever dream that was working at Sony back in the day. Let me... So Ellis may be on soon. So I have to... Uh, I'm going to make a quick note. Kill your... Was, I, think, I think it was the lankier of the two. Um, then that would be Ellis. And that seems like maybe something silly he would do. No offense, else if, if you wouldn't do that. So I made a note to follow up with him on that. Um, right on. So another... It was, it was one of those things that people thought were the lyrics when you played uh, heavy metal backwards. It was mm-hmm. like that. That's what he's Yeah. Playing. It seems reasonable to spam that, but uh, yeah. potentially triggering. Um, so... Oh, it wasn't Hail Satan. It was Worship Satan. Sorry. Worship Satan. C. Goodman, Bill, when designing Epic Quest or any quest, really, were there some guidelines on how often a mob, um, for example, a mountain giant patriarch can spawn, or was it just decided by each individual working on the quest? How did you decide things like that? Each individual working on the quest, like everything back then was. Exactly. And how did you decide, though? Uh, I mean, so we had the, the standard calculations, like we had a little spreadsheet, each of us, well, some of us had a little spreadsheet that said, uh, Hey, uh, here's how many times this item will enter the world, uh, per day. If the monster is killed at any given time, like that was the thought process for, for balancing drops, uh, and the percentage of the drop rates. Uh, you'd look at like, okay, we assume that players are going to kill this thing 100% of the time. Uh, we want this item to enter the world this amount of time, right? So you just do a little bit of quick math and you get oh, this is the drop rate that's going to be cool. One player per week is going to get this epic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
Cool. And let's see. Um, oh, just a quick shout out as well. Scorn and Bonnie, thank you so much for sending me the questions over in Discord. It's a huge help. Um, I, I know it's a lot of work. Thank you. Um, so then, Bunny, you've added, Nick asked, Bill, do you think that MMOs could still learn from MUDs? <clears throat> I think they still are learning from MUDs, whether they know it or not. Um, I think there's not enough people looking back far enough, um, but there's all kinds of innovation still happening. I mean, people are recreating features from 25, 30 years ago still. So, yeah, they can, they can definitely learn from MUDs still. Right on. Um, next question would be from XR Monkey. Who formulated the quest for iPatch Plunder? Thank them for four days of not sleeping um, while camping Stormfeather. Uh, I may get this wrong, and you'll have to ask them. I think it was Bill Coyle. Oh. I don't know for sure. I know he owned the zone. I thought I think he owned the zone the Stormfeather was in, but I could be wrong. What what were the stats on the eye patch of plunder? Who wanted it? Was it a rogue type item? Who I don't remember. It's been so long. Chat knows all this stuff. Clicky haste. Mm. Yeah, I I don't know for sure. I I I feel like Bill was involved with it, but I don't know for sure. I really don't know for sure. Well, I wrote a note. Out of out of nowhere. <laughs> that did happen from time to time. <clears throat> Let's see. EverQuest Forever asked, did you create a Winglock's manly purse item in Kale? Yes, I did. So Winglock's um, is named after one of my best friends, uh, Wen Laws. Uh, so I immortalized him in the game. Uh, he is this guy, I love him to death, but we also call him the Master Coupon. He always has a coupon for something, right? Like back in the day, at least when we were, you know, living down there and, and young and whatnot. So like if, you know, these days, if you have social anxiety and you don't want to order a pizza, uh, you don't call, right? You go on your cell phone and do it. Back then it'd be like, hey, when do you want three slices of pizza? Call for us so we don't have to call the people. Uh, he's like, yes, and I've got a coupon for that. Let me make it better. Uh, so he had all those coupons in a little, not like a really an actual man purse, but we'd give him shit about it, call it his manly purse. So that's exactly where that item came from, a person that, that I knew and, and loved dearly. Awesome. Sitzall asked, Bill, did you work on Lucklin? It seems like there's a framework for players to ally with one of the factions there, Vampire Seru Kata, that wasn't fleshed out. I came on to Lucklin after Lucklin shipped and completed a zone that players were told was completed at ship. Uh called Dexlaw. Sorry. I still feel bad about that zone. That is a very Luckland answer, too. But, but, if I recall right, I did not make the key quest, so somebody else can take all of the blame for that. That is not me. I remember the key quest being almost as egregious as the zone. Ryan, you're in chat right now. Was that you? Did you do that? Um... Not to call you out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so he he is in as Katerin. Um Okay. We'll just say he did it. Uh, not trying to shit on your key quest, but um, I remember getting hate mail about it and being like, I didn't do that. 
And as in hate mail, I mean like posts on the safe house saying like, oh, why is it this way? Wait, wait, wait. They're saying Ryan fessed up. Well, I don't see it. I didn't see it. You already outed yourself. Oh, my goodness. We'll, we'll talk offline. I, I think I do have a story about that key quest because I was doing that quest as well. And I was like, who in the hell implemented this quest? Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm. Yeah. So anyway, um, next question. Shingex, did you design the... No, we've already skipped that. Uh, we just talked about Shingex's question about the VT key. Um, Vulork, Bill, is there an item on Vulak's loot table named after you? Uh, if so, which one? Covered that. No, uh, sorry, Vulork. Hi, Carlton. Is there any info on the Chelsith stone, like those weird symbols that show up everywhere here and there? I don't know the reference. Yeah, that's early, early EQ, like original, original EQ, right? Or no, is that the, is that the, is that a Kunark reference? Anyways, chat will let us know. Yeah. Shots fired. <laughs> it was hard because the zone wasn't done and we couldn't let people in. <laughs> Ryan said, uh, oh my God. Yeah, this, we'll, we'll, we'll handle that some other time, but th yeah, it's funny when that happens. Um, but not really. Uh, Nick asked, Bill, what work did you do as an advisor? Um, we already covered that one. Um, EverQuest Forever, who designed Tower of Frozen Shadow? Jason Polk, I think. I feel like it was Jason Polk. I could be wrong. I feel like it could have also been Amanda. I could be wrong. When you said Jason. Yes. Jason. Jason mm. was becoming the AP at the time, but he still had to do design work, I believe. I feel like he did, in fact, do it. Uh, Schmokey Schmoke? Uh, those are mm -hmm. words that instantly conjure him in my mind. Great guy. Mm -hmm. Love him to death. Uh, I remember the cube. I remember that. I, I remember yeah. that was still during my customer service sneak up and down and like yeah. ask questions phase. Cool. Yeah. Let's see. Next question. Um, and I'm writing notes on some of this stuff because I'll continue to reach out to people. Um, and I mean, even I mean, Lawrence was still a P pointer back then, but he might have done something. But I remember I remember Kayvon doing some stuff on that. I feel like he did. I feel like he was the apprentice that got stuck in with that. So maybe. Polk owned the zone, but Kayvon did a bunch of the work. Um, hmm. We can talk about that with Shreya's Temple at some other point in time. I don't know if you discussed that. Um, I've only, uh, I, I tend to just convey positive thoughts here. I'm a very positive okay. guy right now. And so I, I I'm going to share a story. I hope it doesn't embarrass you or the other person too much, but there might've been a confrontation over who did most of that zone at some point in time during one of the famous parties that would happen back in the day. Ooh, I'm always curious because I can't remember shit these days. And so I try not to claim anything, but then somebody will say, didn't you do like Ryan did it? And I was like, I guess I did do that. So who knows? I, I know that that zone was a more than one person did that zone. And yes. You were one of those more than one persons for that zone. Um, and I remember you crunching a lot for that. Yes. Zone. Um, like when I was not on, that team at the time and was living in a land where I didn't have to crunch all day. I remember walking by and seeing you working on that zone. So, 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if there's any, in terms of question as to whether or not I worked on the zone, I, I still claim to, like I do thoroughly claim the basement at a minimum. Um, yeah. So yeah. No, I, I remember, man, I, it's well, funny. If we're having a beer right now, you and I could discuss that more. We could even have a beer with that other individual. I like him a lot. I ran into him at GDC a couple of years ago. And- He's a great guy. He's funny. I still remember the quote though. My goddamn snake man won't move. <laughs> exactly exactly oh man all right and i'll have to we'll have to drag him on at some point as as well he's still in the industry and around um but yeah i'm claiming the basement i don't don't give a shit what anybody says um (laughs) and the curse is it's legit mine like that one i because i had to take i had to take the punishment for that one so uh let me get back into questions i clicked on the wrong thing here sorry chat um, let's see. Uh, are you guys, uh, Kafa asks, are you guys still connected anyway with the current, um, man- managing company uh, or the company managing daybreak or daybreak? Um, no, I'm not, no, not, not whatsoever. Like I, I don't think I really actually know anybody still there. Maybe I do. Maybe I just don't know. I know them, but I, I've been really bad about keeping in touch with people that I've worked with a long Same. time ago. Like I didn't guys, I didn't even have LinkedIn until Tryon disappeared. Right. Like I just didn't. So I'm not a big Facebook guy. I, I kind of keep to myself. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I was excited when you appeared, like whenever there was, when there was like an opportunity to sort of like run into you online or whatever, it was, it was a big deal. Um, because, you know, the reality is during that period, you were one of those guys I looked up to, right? Like Ellis showed me the tool for the first time. Uh, you know, I sat next to Steve in the CS pit and like really got mentored a lot by him during that phase where he was in CS, but also hammering in like the ring war and stuff like that. Um, yeah. and then you guys were, you know, an inspiration to me. So it's always nice to catch up. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to just be able to think about those days and reminisce uh, and not, you know, be out yourself in a corner talking about it. Anytime I can talk with somebody uh, that's worked on this stuff or has experienced this stuff, it's always great. I mean, it's also like, it gives me some vibes of like the first fanfare I went to. Um, I remember going to it uh, before I got really drunk uh, in Boston on like the first day and I'm walking around with my, my dev badge turned around so people can't know that I'm a dev. And I'm watching, you know, EverQuest. It's the craziest things I've ever seen in my life because you'd see like this 40 or 45 year old lawyer, like wearing a suit at the fanfare, right? Like dressed up and like this 15 year old punk kid talking to him. And the 15 year old punk kid is the actual expert, right? And this older guy is listening to him as a source of authority, right? And just Mm -hmm. how much everyone loved the game. Everyone Mm. was brought together by it, right? it, it, I'm not saying like communities these days are toxic. It, it's a different, it's a different world we're in now. Um, the internet is much more connected now than it used to be, but just seeing how EverQuest has touched people even back then on the team, right? It's always like super humbling. It's like, wow, I got to be part of something that did that. It's uh it's crazy. Yeah. It's like I said, it, it was a big, it was, it, uh... I, w- I wouldn't say I got lucky. I mean, I made a lot of choices to land there, but I, I absolutely recognize the, the privilege that came out of landing there at that yeah. time. Yeah. We, we got some experiences that you, you can't really replicate. 
Absolutely. We got more questions. I told you there's going to be a lot of questions. And so, and I'm keeping an eye on your time as well. Yeah. So, um, Oin32, was Vanguard something that Sony just decided not to fund anymore or was the transition into zones the issue? By the way, I love the diplomacy system in that game. Uh, the Vanguard story is a lot more complicated than we can really completely cover in 45 minutes. Uh, the really short version of that, uh, as I recall it, was this is not laying blame on any companies, anybody else, anything like that. This is my recollection, folks. So if somebody at Microsoft hears this and gets pissed off at me, I'm sorry. Uh, Microsoft had a certain strategy when we originally partnered with them, and they had some regime changes uh, within Microsoft as to what their, who was running games and whatnot. Um, so basically, our advocate within Microsoft disappeared at one point in time, uh, and their strategy shifted um, away from MMOs. And they looked; they were looking at the competitive landscape and saw, you know, this juggernaut called World of Warcraft heading heading down the pipe. Uh, and we ended up, you know, Vanguard was very vision driven, and that's good and bad. Uh, but the vision didn't meet up with what they were looking for anymore. Plus, the regime change, uh, so that left us uh, in a lurch. Uh, and then, you know. I don't know exactly how the conversations between Brad and Smed came down uh, to get us that that bridge and get us part of that family again, uh, but things things changed during development. It was not uh, that was not as planned. None of that was as planned. It is a miracle that that Vanguard shipped at all, uh, and thank you for your part in that, Smed. And dude, that was that's another thing. You know, you saying that reminds me. Like Smed was always so good about bringing people back in the fold, right? Like when that opportunity was there. Um, yeah and that that happened with product and it happened with just individuals um so right on um let's see a uh, new question uh, it's another one that i think may be after your time um uh, vulork asked what was the design philosophy of removing existing oh no actually maybe not existing weapons in vt and leaving only akiva bane weapons were you yeah i think that changed after yeah it changed if it changed after the fact i was gone because yeah shipped the zone zone went live a couple weeks after i left yeah so i think that would be a question for rich um if and when he comes in i i don't think he did the actual work that may have been john but um or i may be wrong on that ryan you can correct me so xr monkey asked who came up with the idea that the gray is the only outdoor zone above water um on the moon that requires enduring breath. I remember people have, I remember walking by people having that discussion while smoking. So I wasn't a smoker, but I would walk down there because I was always, um, I was always bitter about the amount of smoke breaks people would take as a non-smoker. Uh, so I just go hang out with them at a certain point in time, maybe have a soda or something. Um, if I can interject, God bless those smoke breaks. So as a, as a, uh, aspiring apprentice, like I, I wanted to get a job as an apprentice when I was in CS, yeah, yeah. everybody hung out. That's how Burke got it uh-huh. too. Like, like not- <laughs> I didn't smoke, but I went out there anytime I could when I saw everybody was smoking or hanging out out there. So I could just go, Hey, what's up guys? Uh, you know, need me to do some free work. Um, Jaspers, thank you for the follow. Welcome. Uh, next question. Beavers JJ, was the bread quest intended to make, uh, to be able to get to level 50 with? I thought I remember people doing that. There were so many things that were never intended in EverQuest, so I sincerely doubt that 
that was intended. Like, I'm sure somebody's been on here, or you guys all know, like, Stain Death Pulling was not designed to be mm. that way. It just became how the game was played. So as later designers came on, for example, that's how the game's played. We embrace it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... So, Mr. Goodman, another question. Which epic quest is Bill most proud of? How does it feel knowing people are still running through these quests 20 years later? Um, I mean, honestly, I look back at those quests and I think they're pretty crap um, by today's standards, uh, obviously. Like, and anytime I look at my own work, I'm like, wow, that's pretty crap, uh, especially writing because I'm not a good writer. Um, I still like... I think I like the warrior epic the most. Um, and I recall when those quests came out, right? The safe house was basically where you went to talk about EverQuest, right? If you were having serious discussions about it. Um, and the thread on the warrior epic quest actually crashed the safe house. It got that big and that long, like it crashed their software and it was down for like a day or something ridiculous. Um, so I'm still, I'm still proud of, not crashing the safe house, but like that, like it was like a 3000 page long thread or something ridiculous. It was, it was absolutely bonkers watching people figure this stuff out and see what's going on and, and connect the dots that even I had not dotted. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. If, if you, if you get a chance to pop into chat sometimes just randomly and, and, and lurk, you will see so many dots connected that I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, there are some people in here that really know their shit. Um, all right. New question. And yeah, congrats on crashing the safe house. Um, in a fun way. I used to love that site. And we have constantly EQ. Is the rumor that the original islands in Vanguard were only a small slice, basically a, a starter area? Is, um, that yeah. is misleading in the statement. So Vanguard, as it shipped, was not the entire design. So in the high-level design document, which I may or may not still have a hard copy of on paper somewhere, um, there are multiple other continents which were planned for expansions. Um, so when you hear the word starter tossed around, it depends on who's saying the word starter. Like if Burke and I were talking about it, that would have a different context than what somebody outside uh, of the team might know or understand, or even the later designers that were on the team might have. Uh, but the intent actually originally was to have uh, the three continents, like Kojan, uh, the Asian theme continent was way, way super scoped down on what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be the same size as the other two continents. Uh, and then there was what I think we called intermediary zones or intermediary continents, uh, which were going to be like either if we had time uh, or the first expansion. And then there was an advanced continent, which was massive and gigantic and ridiculous and no team on the, the face of the planet was ever going to be able to build uh, that was supposed to be much later expansion. Uh, like the, the vision for it was much bigger than the reality of what a team could build at that time with any right. sort of reasonable budget. Um, like, that would have been a $300 million MMO to make that sort of stuff. And it was not a $300 million MMO guys. It was expensive, but it was not $300 million. Right on. Um, let's see. 
Kemp asks, with a lot of chaotic development uh, back then, do you think it made games better as opposed to the very controlled gameplay experience in modern games? I don't think it makes it better. I think it just makes it different. Uh, you're getting a very yeah. different flavor and different people like different things. So there's people that love the flavor of the original EverQuest and there's people that don't, right? I mean, you can look at the engagement numbers of things like World of Warcraft versus EverQuest and you can see how people are voting with their wallets, right? Like, I... I love parts of World of Warcraft. I played the shit out of it as well. Uh, a lot of li- time in Lich King. Um, but it's a different experience. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, th- th- at, the, at the end of the day, like, as a game developer, I want to make cool stuff that people play and is fun and really engaging. But you have to pay the bills, right? Everyone has to pay the bills. So that's a real, it's a real challenge. Like, I, I could get deep in philosophy a lot. Like, like, for those of you who don't know, like I'm the guy that did the free-to-play conversion for Rift. I am directly responsible for anything you may or may not like about that. Um, and there's probably a lot of hate out there. Um, like, yeah, there's. I've done loot boxes. I've done all that stuff. Uh, I've I've been evil. I have had to hit metrics. Like I've had moments in my life where I hate having to hit a number. But we need to do that so other teams can survive. So the team I'm on can survive. So a company can survive. Uh, it's is an incredibly challenging situation to be put in. Right. Um, yeah. And I know, I know Hartsman was on here talking a little bit about that, but like, you know, when you know you're going to hit X number and you're told to hit 20% more than that, you have to do some things you don't want to do. And I don't feel good about doing those things, but Hey, a, a bunch of people got to keep their jobs a lot longer because we did those things. Yeah, I've been there. I've been there as a producer, right? I've, I've worked in that um, situation as a producer where it was, hey, we're not only hitting our numbers, we're surpassing what, you know, our forecast, but the company yeah. needs to push another 20% and it needs to happen this month. And the only game we can look at right now that's capable of doing it is yours. And so when you have to go back to the team, it's a tough thing to do as a leader it's hard on the team. You know what you're doing to the player base. You know the team's not happy about it. It's like no team in those situations going, oh, yay, right? Like, um, yeah. I think one of the things I'm hoping will be a takeaway from some of these streams is just reinforcing that um, humanity on the, on the team side. Like people, it, the folks working on games, for the most part, especially the, the games that I've worked on, probably you've worked on, yeah. love games love their fan base, hate to disappoint their fan base, don't want to be evil, don't want to be shitty. Um, they're not doing it just for the money. And so those things are tough. And so when you we're see it happening, money, we'd all be engineers working in tech, right? You'd work at a <laughs> banking software. Exactly. I mean, I could have like, my degree was like database management stuff. Like I, I did a contract right out of, out of college uh, for one week and got paid five thousand dollars in like you know nineteen ninety nine and what did I do with that money? I went and bought a computer and played the shit out of everquest right like I could have stayed on that track and done something totally different with my life like made quote unquote made something of myself uh but no i'm I'm doing this sort of stuff so yeah, and I, I was just waiting for uh, folks in chat to like come out and be like, "Wait a second, dude, I work in banking software I'm not making." So sorry, I didn't mean to, to generalize. Um, we've got uh, one or two more questions um, in the list, and then we'll probably just go to scanning chat because we, we know that um, we're running close on time now. We're about 
30 minutes out, depending on what, what you can stay for. Uh, thanks, Scorn, for the heads up on that. Um, Bunny, you passed along 910 Never Sleeps Again's question. After playing a few weeks on classic of classic on a TLP, do you think Dark Paul Games is doing a good job with the brand? What do you think they could do better? Um, I've been, so that may be aimed at me, but, uh, Bill, if you want to start, so have you- I'll be, I'm, I'm not playing it. I'll be, I'll be super blunt. Um, I don't, I don't think I could emotionally handle, uh, going back and playing EverQuest at this point in time, uh, for any number of reasons of like, even playing Lucklin after I left the team was difficult for me. Um, because of how the game continued to evolve in different ways. And, you know, everyone put their own stamp on things, right? And it became... There's many aspects of of different things that I love, right? But it it became less the game I loved over time. It became more Mm -hmm. disconnected from, from, for me, than it was for the current fans or the current team. And the current team was the current fans, et cetera, and so on and so forth. So, like, it's just very difficult to go back and, like, recapture the elements that I really cared about at that point in time. And for me to have the time to invest in that, right? Like I'm a father now I have a four and a half year old. It's very hard for me to actually commit the amount of time that I would need to commit. Like for me to feel okay playing it, I would need large chunks of time to be able to play. Um, yeah. Yeah. From my end, it's mainly just like so far we're, we're in the old world. So it's been a lot of nostalgia. Um, you know, we've had the time on, on our end. My girlfriend Jasmine decided that she would play EverQuest with me, um, to, uh, uh, allow me to like show her some of the stuff I've been babbling about. Um, it seemed like a good opportunity to stream it as well. Um, so I've enjoyed going back. I'm looking forward to Kunark a ton. I'm looking forward to, you know, Velius and Luckland and just kind of going through as we, as we get closer to the stuff that I worked on, I'm going to be curious to see what that feels like. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to experience a, a weird wave of nostalgia and, yeah. and if somebody has put some peanut butter in your chocolate, um, yeah. I mean, like I remember like this is, this is going to sound really like prima Donna bullshitty stuff. Right. But like, remember how we were talking about earlier folks that are listening, uh, like you owned the zone that you worked on. Like you owned it. It was yours. Uh, like an apprentice added a quest mob to kale without talking to me. And I'm walking around in game and see this. And it was like, I was madder than hell. I was madder than all hell. Like everyone on the team knew who the hell did kale. Just have a two minute conversation with me. Let's get the mob added. But it was, somebody crossed the line of what you don't do back then on EverQuest, which was hop into my zone and, you know, change something. So mm-hmm. that, was, that was not something that happened back in the day. Let's put it that way. So if that was me, I apologize. Um, no, it, was not, it was not you. I, okay. I know who it was. You already addressed it. Bobby Bick, um, Bill Fisher did kale. I have questions. Ask away. I can hear, I can hear frantic typing. Hear typing. Type, type, type. In the meantime, I want to try to show you this image that was sent over. Um, what do you know about this? Anything? It's kind of blurry. I don't know what that is. Is that a, is that a banner with a, the symbol on it? I mean, one of the original EQ artists might know something about that. 
it probably was just something cool that they made. Um, that said, both, as I recall, both Trost and Brad, you know, I didn't know Trost super well. Um, you know, worked with him on EQ2 for a while. There, there was some like bigger picture lore stuff that they always wanted to inject in the game that never really got communicated out to anyone. Like it's probably hiding in a document somewhere or they talked to an artist about it and it just got mm-hmm. made and we may never know. Um, Okay. Well, we've got Bobby's question just popped up in chat and I've got a couple more. I've got three more behind the scenes there. So can uh, you... it probably was supposed to be a story between Velkator and other folks, but I don't remember what it was supposed to be because we had to crunch to finish it all. So it's probably just one of those things that got left on the cutting room floor completely. Um, or I wanted to add and never got around to. Like I wanted to do there was there was like a quest line I remember wanting to add to one of the dragons in TOV, in North TOV, uh, where you could actually talk to them and do something. And I they were the monk dragon. I don't remember the names anymore. I don't remember this stuff. I remember wanting to build this and not building it now. Now that now that you say that, like thinking about that. Um yeah, I think it was Feshlack. Um Yes, it was actually meant, I believe I was going to do it for monks. So I, I'm trying, I have this vague memory of like, as a monk, you were supposed to be able to walk up to him and talk to him because you would feign death in front of him and then duel him in human form. He was supposed to change into a human and duel you one-on-one and give you a reward. Uh, never did it though. So, my bad. Uh, like, you, like the amount of crunch that had happened by that point in time at the end when I wanted to do stuff... Uh, if you look through the names of items in North TOV, you will start to see my mental state at that moment in time. Uh, yes. I'm not going to say any more than that, but feel free to go look through uh, those item names. Uh, not the ones that are on Vulak or anything, just other random drops and other stuff in the zone and rewards from the other dragons. So a behind-the-scenes question. Shaka Bren, have you done any personal projects, any games? Apologies if this was asked already. Just rejoined. No, I've never done uh, anything indie. Uh, everything I've done has been large-scale um, online stuff. Um, I'm working with a startup right now on some cool stuff. Uh, it's in stealth mode, so I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, maybe in a few months we'll talk about that. Maybe not. Um, but no, I, I haven't done any of that small-scale stuff. It's like even even having some time off last year, like to just not do anything. I didn't. I didn't do that sort of stuff. It's not. It's not my jam, really. Right on. Um, let's see. Nick asked, do you think an MMO with the scope of Vanguard will ever happen in the future? Um, I think if someone, it will take an individual that has a metric crap ton of money that wants to make that game. Uh, there, I do not think there will ever be an investment group or venture capital that, that does that, right? It's going to be somebody with their own money that says, I want to make something to that scale so if any of you guys win the lottery like a really big one like a powerball yeah. uh you, you can hire a team to make that probably yeah let us know if you come up yeah if you land like uh, half a billion dollars or whatever and you're thinking of ways to spend it uh, we know people um yeah i mean i'm not going to say that it's a bad idea it's a it's a risky bet right it's it's a very risky bet to make something that large, right? Like I think 
a lot of stuff is moving towards niches these days and people finding their niche and finding what they want to play. Like, I, you know, it, it sounds, you know, kind of crazy. Like when you hear the, the, the founders of Riot talk about, you know, uh, League is a niche game. They are right. League is a niche game. It's a friggin' massive niche, but it's made for a certain type of person, a certain type of player. They're not trying to appeal to everyone, right? So right. I, I think it's harder and harder to make games that appeal to everyone in every single way. Um, and it's just not a good idea. And and we've been we've been having that chat a lot on here. Um that, that very chat. So it's cool to hear it. Um let's see. One more question from Oin32. How um how did you cho- how do you choose your next projects? Is there um is there more research on the companies now? Uh so for most of my career, right, it's been joining a place that has something going already and it's finding cool people I want to work with or cool opportunities. Um, you know, and to be blunt, right. Sometimes it's like, who's willing to offer you money to work on something that's cool to work on. Right. Like, do you want to work with these people? Do you want to go be in a foxhole with these people? Do they sound convincing about what they want to do? Um, Mm -hmm. when all those things answer, yes, it's great. I mean, I spent nine years at Tryon, guys. Um, I loved working with everyone there. I loved what I was doing, you know, a vast majority of the time. Uh, like, I don't hop around the industry. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right on. Um, another question uh, from in Inhumanic. Uh, Bill, why statue idol Avatar of War was idol ever intended to have loot mechanics? Oh, I remember. I don't remember back then, honestly. I'm pretty sure that I just put the loot where I knew the loot was going to go. Uh, and I, I couldn't have too many drops in the zone, right? I couldn't be Monty Hall. So like, mm. one of the things you have to understand too, like on the EverQuest team back in the day, getting access to the item database back then was a big deal. It was a separate database and you had to have separate permissions to get in. Um, and at that point in time, in like that, that period of time, I was the fastest person to get access to that database, uh, like from my start date to getting access. And I never got it revoked. And like there was other people that had their access revoked or got in trouble for making loot too good or giving out too much loot. Uh, emails from from Roger Uzen that uh, I, I I very much remember regarding certain zones of uh, I'm going to do a little bit of a Roger impression here. For those of you who don't know him, one uh, percent does not mean what you think it means when it's on every monster in the zone. Yeah, good impression. Yeah. No, that's not possible. That unpossible, unpossible what you're asking. No. So, new question. Because uh, we had a couple more pop in. XR Monkey, Bill, you have a four-year-old child. If and when you get more time, will you introduce your little one to EQ1? To EQ1, if it's still around uh, in a few years, which I hope it is, um, I'll probably show her some of it, or at least show her some videos of it. I, I don't think we'll play that game together. Um she plays a little bit of World of Tanks with me right now. It's pretty cute. I have an extra mouse that sits uh, next to my computer, so she'll grab the mouse, and she's playing tanks with me. So, uh, yeah, she's 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 a gamer. She's going to game, but uh, we'll see if we end up playing MMOs together or not, or what will exist by the time when it's it's more relevant for her to be doing that. Right on. Um, so... Frank the Bank, I did not miss this when it scrolled by, but thank you, Scorn, for posting it here. Bill, did you know that people traverse VT by jumping through the ceiling? Uh, I believe that's totally a thing that could happen, yeah. 
I might have done it myself at some point in time. And, uh, yeah, didn't we discuss this earlier, I think? Um, it, some discussion of this may be on the VOD. Um, I may be wrong. Let's see. The question seemed to move. Hashpipe, what is your favorite item you remember from when you were playing? Oh, man. That is an amazing question, right? Because I loved my cleric epic uh, weapon as a player. Um, but I also really love the fact that, you know, once, uh, once the old world was no longer the thing and you could go back and just kill, um, kill Nagathan and Vox. And when you're the raid leader, you get to distribute the loot however you want. And I was a benevolent dictator. Um, that's how I treated the guilds. Uh, I love my, my cloak of flames, uh, that it was sitting on my like level 25, uh, rogue alt. Like that item is awesome. I love it. Cool. Keebs asks if you had an opportunity that made sense to put your hands on EQ again, would you? Hmm. Um, good question. That is a great question. I don't have a good answer for that. Um, you know, if the stars aligned, I don't think I would be, you know, completely adverse to it, but I think it would be, as I was describing earlier, like playing EQ, I think it might be a strange feeling because the game has evolved so much over the years, right? It's 20 years of history now, and my history with it is so far back. I'm not sure if it's this, if it would be enough of the same game that I would care about. Um, not, not that I would care about, but that I would be super psyched um, to be involved with, right? Um, you know, Rift was very much, you know, you know, another evolution of, of WoW and EverQuest, that sort of stuff, right? So making that same game again or making Vanguard again, um, I don't think it gets me the level of excitement that would be good for me and good for the people I'd be working with, probably. If that makes any sense, right? Like, yeah. I don't think I'd say no, but I don't think I'd be like, hell yeah, right? Yeah, there, yeah there's this weird, there, there's this thing about Noras. Right. So when I think EQ, it's like, all right, would I, would I want to work in Norath again? And that is that, that's sort of it in terms of that's the box. Like here, here's Norath, but you get to make whatever you want. It's a, it's a slightly different question for me. If, if it's working Norath again, absolutely. I'd love to work in Norath again. I'd in a friggin' heartbeat. Let me know if you've got a bunch of money and want to make an awesome game uh, and you own the IP. I don't know any of the folks down there. I'm not going to go pitch it to anyone. Um, if that opportunity knocked on my door, I'd sure I'd absolutely have a conversation, have some beers and discuss what could be made. Um, yeah. You know. Oddly, the longer I spend in here running around, the more that uh, is sort of something in the back of my mind. So if we can just get some of that Jeff Bezos money, then in the IP, that would be awesome. New question. I mean, I, I, like for me, it's like, it's, a, it's the Norath thing, right? It's the connection back to that. I, that's, that's the key phrase right there. Right. Like, yeah. I've already made a spiritual successor to EverQuest. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and so, uh, let's see new, new question from EverQuest forever. Did you observe the first LOS, um, avatar of war, Zerg kill and GM stealth? I don't remember if I was there or not. I don't remember if it was happening. If it was on so like it, I could have been at Lawrence's desk when it happened. I don't remember. Uh, it's entirely possible. I was there. I just don't remember. 
Let's see. Um, I think this one's going to predate us. Uh, Xbox fan, who taught the snakes to kick in EQ? Uh, Roger Uzen. There you go. Roger, Roger Uzen was the combat code, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Roger was the, the core of the, of the server and the combat, and Steve Clover was the client, if I recall right. Um, like those were the guys. They were it. Like you would see them having conversations in the hall. I am the server. This is what I am sending you. I am the client. I'm sending you this. Uh, and Roger was, at that point in time, before he went on to EQ2 as a designer later, um, super influential on EverQuest. Like I look up to Roger still to this day for his contribution, not just as an engineer, but to like the balance of the game uh, and all of that stuff was. Roger was very much the proponent of the of the NPC. Right. So like if you, if you remember Sean going and walking back uh, by a server box and looking at the terminal, like stuff like uh, such and such, you know, prints out such and such monster hates so-and-so so much and wants to kill them. Right. And then it shows the combat code, right? Like that's Roger, like staring mm-hmm. into the matrix. If I stare into that in, in 50 years from now, uh, right. I would still see Roger's face staring back at me. Um, and he, he wanted to make the game a challenge for people. He, you know, it wasn't just, you know, Brad's vision of make a challenging game and all this other stuff, right? Like, Roger is one of these guys that's so behind the scenes in what made EverQuest great. He never gets up there and talks about it, um, unless it's with, like, a team member or whatever, right? But he was one of those guys really making sure there was game balance. Him and, you know, Palacio, and Palacio was on the product as well, right? Like, they were, like, peas in a pot, and they were, like making sure shit worked and making sure mm-hmm. the game was fun at a base level and tuning the experience and all of that stuff. Um, so yeah, if, if I don't know if you remember Roger much at all, but like <laughs> the great book of Uzen, like we literally in my time period had a, a friggin' pamphlet. Bill Coyle was the keeper of it during my time period. It was this manila folder and inside of it were emails from Roger describing how things work fundamentally in EverQuest like flying kick of two, like all the weird hacks and stuff in the game. Mm-hmm. Like, it existed in hard copy in the Holy book of Uzen. And we treated it with fucking reverence because, you know, if Roger got hit by a bus, that was how EQ worked. That was the stuff you needed to know. Um, like I remember I got to get a page inserted in the Holy book of Uzen because I was the guy that collaborated with Roger on um, rampage and flurry. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so, oh, here's how you do Rampage and Flurry. Roger sends an email out to the team. Here's how it works, guys. Like, that was my contribution to the canon of, of that holy book at the time. Uh, and yeah, and Uzen time units and all that other stuff. Like, yeah, the Uzen, the Uzens. I, I think I've, I've mentioned the Uzens on the stream before. And then uh, I think somebody made an Uzens calculator to make it easy for us to understand time. You mentioned Rampage and Flurry. That's one of the things I didn't get a chance to ask about. There's also the 32K hit point. Oh, yeah. So, so fun, fun thing, right, about back in the day. Like, so again, I've mentioned I was a friend of Brad's, right? So I'm playing Magic with him every Wednesday night. Uh, and I'm so I'm we're playing the game and I and I we're like okay so we're making this expansion and players are getting more powerful. Uh, hey guys, how do we make monsters with more hit points? Like you know, try and enter it. Oh, thirty-two thousand. That's as high as it goes. And Roger's like, oh yeah, that's impossible to change. We can't do that. I'm like, well, how did they make the monsters harder in uh, in Vishon's Peak? And you get another Rogerism right there. Uh, this is the hack that I think it was Tom Wells used. Right, he put a negative one in the regen value. So a negative one in the regen value meant it would regenerate the monster as fast as the server cycle would allow it to. 
unbound. So if the more people you had in the zone, the slower the monster would regen. That's how those monsters in, in uh, that zone, in the old zones, were made harder. So those monsters had 32,000 hit points, but they were regenerating some random variable to like a quarter of their life or half of their life per server time unit. And the more people you brought, the easier it made it. The more lag you could produce on the server, it made it. So when I found that out, I was like, holy crap, that is not sustainable. We can <laughs> expansion with that. Uh, Roger, can we change this? No, that's impossible. No, we can't do that. It's impossible. Steve, is, is Roger is Roger right? I'm actually picturing him now. Roger's 100% right. We can never change this. It's, we cannot change this. No, we cannot change this. It can never change. It's impossible. Um, and I go to, I remember, like, I, was, I felt a little bad because I was like, oh, I, I kind of explained it to Jeff, and Jeff kind of sides with the engineers on it, maybe or maybe not. And I just went to Brad's office, and I was like, closed the door, sat down, like, dude, um, you, you had an engineering background. Like, you were once an engineer on this project. This isn't impossible, is it? Like, here's, here's the problem set. And he's like, oh, I can see why they're saying that's impossible, right? Because ch- they have to change every variable in the client and the server that uses this everywhere, and they don't want to do that. Oh, now that you've explained the problem and how it's being solved right now, yeah, I- I'm going to have them go change that. So uh, Roger and Steve are probably a little salty that, you know, this associate designer went to the VP of the company, uh, you know, and, and told him about this problem and, and got him to get it fixed. Uh, because a week and a half later, guess what? We didn't have a 32K cap anymore. They did it in a week and a half. Uh, it was work that absolutely had to be done. Uh, like EverQuest, can you imagine playing in, in those expansions without having that? Like, what are you going to do? Add super mitigation as the, as the mechanic? Like, eh, I guess there's, there's other terrible workarounds, but that was the right decision. Uh. Right on. And, and thank you for conjuring up both Roger and Steve. For some reason, I also pictured Steve during that and could actually remember him again. Um, yeah, no, 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 no. Like and there's that sigh, it's like sigh. Just, uh. yeah. so, so um he's, he's one of the nicest engineers i've ever worked with in my life and i have to tell this story about him some folks may not care but like during the development of vanguard he was one of our engineers he really cared about it he wanted us to make a great game and at one point in time the engineers as a group as i understand it were talking like why can't the designers make quests faster this doesn't seem right like blah 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 and steve just comes to my office and it's like hey so why, why can't you make quests faster i'm like oh steve well Tomorrow you'll come to my office, we'll schedule the time, and I'll step you through the quest tool. Um, and he did that, and he stepped through the quest tool. He actually used it to make a quest. And I have never seen him storm out of... I've never seen that guy actually angry in my life except for that moment in time. And the way I recall it, and maybe I'm misrecalling, is he then went and read the riot act to all the other engineers of, like, you cannot complain about the designers not being able to make quests fast enough when you've given them such a garbage tool in order to do it, right? And then the tool got fixed, and quest production increased by, like, you know, 90% or something ridiculous. It's not like the tool became the best tool ever, but thank you, Steve Clover, for going through, using that tool, and and explaining to the other half, right? Like sometimes it's like designers over here and engineers over here and communication isn't perfect. Like he made it happen. He did it. He made it clear to everyone how important that was. Right on. And Ryan, uh, 
that, that uh, I guess conjured a memory for you. Um, Excel. Yeah. The, the tools, the, the design tools, the tools Excel. Yeah. Excel. Um, and you know what? When I look back on it, I kind of love it. Um, let's see, dude, you, you were about eight minutes out from your original two hours. So we've gone through this pretty quick. Let if me you, check my work slacks and just, I only have do it. notification right now. So I'll give you guys another 30 minutes. Oh, awesome. Thank let's you. Go to, let's, yeah, let's go till about uh, 12, 20. Yeah, about, about 30 minutes should be good. Okay, uh, and, and then I've got to bounce, and we can we can schedule another day. Uh, Absolutely, Absolutely. Um, so, new question. Well, oh, it just disappeared. All right, so I guess we covered that one, Scorn. So, with that in mind, uh, let's just look at chat. What do you guys got? I saw Zay just roll in as well. I want to tell I want to tell a story to you that I don't know if you knew it or not. Actually. Um, Probably not. Uh, I, I watched one of your, your VODs the other day, and people were mentioning, you know, Red Bull and drinking Red Bull and stuff. Um, oh. So Red Bull had just came out, effectively, around the time I started on EverQuest. Uh, and this was very near the ship date for Velius. Um, Jeff, like, people were tired. We were super tired. And, like, Jason was too tired. Jason is the AP, was too tired to, like, go and get stuff. And Jeff didn't want to leave the office at the time or had already gone to sleep. I don't, I don't remember. Like, not trying to cast aspersions. But anyways, I get handed the company credit card. Uh, and Kayvon, one of our apprentices, is told to go with me. And we're like, okay, good to go get snacks for the team. Go get stuff. Um, so we go to the local AMPM, and there's Red Bull there. And we're like, oh, Red Bull sounds good. We got the card. We should buy it. And I'm, I'm so whacked out tired. And Kayvon says to me, Bill, how much Red Bull should we buy? And I just turn him in a stupor and go, all of it. And we bought like $600 of Red Bull on the company credit card, like every Red Bull that was in that place. And I swear to God, it was gone in the next 12 hours. So imagine a team of like 20 ish people drinking $700 of Red Bull. I'm, I'm, I remember not sleeping for two days straight. At least I remember sitting on the floor in Lawrence's cube, um, rocking back and forth. Do you remember those, those carpets, those old carpets, they had like little designs on them. Uh-huh. Pretty I remember just going like, Whoa, the floor is cool, dude. Whoa. Uh, like, I will never forget that. It was absolutely. Yeah. That smell, the Red Bull smell. So yeah, my, dude, my girlfriend hates it. She hates it. But every time I crack one open, I'm immediately transported back to that era. Yeah, that's that's part of why there's an orb of a Red Bull or something like that, or the orb of Red Wings. I don't remember what it's called in, in TOV. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's... It is, dude, it is the smell of creation. Yeah, the smell of creation, exactly. And that, honestly, uh, Red Bull, I love you, but man, the flavor is not good. It's not. That was half the, of what kept me awake, was the flavor was like, uh. It's special. It's special. So that, I, I do have that question on here for the, uh, the Red Bull Cave On company credit card story. I just, yeah. we didn't, we didn't get to it. So I'm glad you brought that up. Now I can close these out. Exactly. Orb of the Crimson Bull. Close the jurors. We're all good. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. So chat, we've got Bill here for a little bit longer. Um, yeah. I so have something else to share. Um, this is still one of my favorite shirts. So this on it says Valius launch party, Las Vegas. Oh, it has, if you can see that, right? 
the box cover. So I've still got, mm-hmm. this, you know, I've had the shirt longer than I've known in my life. Um, was that at the Bellagio? That's a great question. Uh, cause here's a story about that. Uh, the EverQuest team was too busy crunching on the product to go to the launch party for it. So the EverQuest two team went instead. <laughs> Dramatic sound in the background for effect. Um, the, but then it happened. That same thing happened again, right? Because I the didn't go to the Sony Christmas party because I was crunching. Yeah, that too. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I think some of the some of the apprentices did. Like I think Kayvon went and won a TV. Maybe I don't remember who. That that was that was the Christmas party because I had just gotten there. That was the Christmas party at the um, uh, Coronado Hotel Coronado. And yeah. all of you guys were still like still there crunching. Um, those of us that were in customer service got invited over. You guys got to come to the thing because the prizes are awesome at these Sony parties, right? It was like win a you know a big screen TV or something out of B stock, right? Like mm-hmm. I mean, those those deals back in the day were fantastic, right? Like sixty five inch TV when sixty five inch TVs were like something to behold of like oh my god, it's half off through the Sony discount. Uh, just hope it's not broken because it was B stock, but. Yeah, well, and I I remember, like, I thought, because I'll admit, I got to go to the party. I was in customer service, so I I wasn't crunching yet. I had yet to earn the privilege of of crunch. Um, And so, but then, like, when I came back, uh, I could have sworn some salty. Like, some of you guys uh, did appear at some point kind of salty. But I know when I came back uh, and then read the mood of the team that was out there smoking, I was very much like, oh, yeah, the the Christmas party? I didn't. Yeah, I didn't didn't go to that. yeah. So I think the other one that, you know, I've, I've told a few people this story and I, and I actually like, uh, Jose, you remember Jose, uh, Azaria, right? The, the QA mm-hmm. uh, head of the time. Um, this is one of those, those things that's funny in retrospect, at least to me, right? It's, there was a meeting that was had maybe a month before Velius released, uh, and Brad and Jeff were not in the room, right? Like, so the, the team leader, the, the, the owners of the product were not in the room yet, but just the dev team was in there. And Jose was like, we're going to start the meeting anyways. Uh, but, you know, we need to get better QA notes. We need to do all this stuff. You know, you guys need to increase your quality. Um, and then he said a phrase which nearly got him literally killed. Like I was getting out of my seat, which was maybe you guys should consider crunching to a room full of developers that had already been crunching for five months. Um, and then like, as that moment, as people are getting out of chairs, Brad and Jeff walk in and de-escalate the whole situation, which was fantastic. Cause like you could see it on Jose's face of like, he wasn't a dumb guy. He's a super smart guy and his heart was in the right place. And he was a hundred percent. right. <laughs> Poor Jose. A whole lot. Like I'm not throwing Jose under the bus. Like, no, no, no. He is a great guy. I was in like, wait a minute. I've been crunching for five months and some dude just told me to start crunching. What, <laughs> what would, what would crunch be from here? A person must die. Right? Like, and he realizes as he says it of like, oh, wait a minute, I'm not talking to, you know, the sovereign team or something like that. I'm talking oh, to shots that's, fired. that's working uh, all the time. Hey, sovereign could have been a great game. Maybe somebody will make it someday. Uh, I mean, some people have made stuff like sovereign. Just Smed, if you're listening, I, I feel like some of the projects that were, were thought of back then were so far ahead of their time. Like you have been ahead of the curve and the world just hasn't been ready for them. If, if the world had been a little bit more ready, Holy crap. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Right. Like that, that's my, my two bit thing. Like, I don't, I don't know Smed well at all, but like when I look back at all this stuff of like, yeah, MMORTS, that sounds awesome. Somebody's going to make that. Somebody wants to play that potentially. Um, 
And the same thing with, you know, elements of planet side and whatnot, right? Like yeah. super ahead of its time, super ahead of its time. Did, did you say that right as Nick was firing planet side into the chat, it coincided. I don't know if you saw that, but perfect timing. No, like all, all that stuff. There's so much cool stuff going on. It was so everything in the game industry was so much more wild west back then too. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, there was even stuff that I don't think really people either know about or attribute, um, with SOE at the time. Um, that was ahead of its time that like, I look at casual games where Fister came from when he came onto the EQ oh, yeah. team, he came from casual games, which was basically just killed. Um, but it was, I mean, Jeopardy and stuff made a lot of money. Yeah, it was basically the thing that blew up on Facebook, you know, 10 years, 12 years later, um, all of that stuff. So, yeah, Sony was always ahead of the curve and and it really felt like it was uh, like the... The I, I'm trying to find the words that aren't like demeaning or anyway. It wasn't like it felt like a garage style, like a giant garage game. You know what I mean? Like there was even when it was 700 people. To me, I just see it as like it wasn't like a startup, but it was. It had some startup like elements with yeah. it. Yeah. Um, back then, before like you know lean startup and all that sort of stuff was like codified, right? Like there was a lot going on. There was a lot of great ideas and and. I don't think all of it was execution, right? Like, I'm not going to say like, oh, the teams didn't make good games or whatever, right? But there, there was process issues. There was stuff that was just too early, stuff that maybe the fun could have been iterated to, given enough time. Well, and in several cases, it was the tech wasn't there yet. Like, uh, yeah. we, we've talked about this a lot where I'm like, uh, I probably would have played EQ2 more, had my machine run it better. I would have played Vanguard more, had my machine run it better, right? Like, yeah. stuff like that. So, um I'm scanning chat as well uh, for some more stuff because um, I've seen some things pop in here. Uh, let's see. Nick, the thing I was respect about SOE was that they were not afraid to be trailblazers. Uh, without that quality EQ, plant side, et cetera, would have never existed. Yeah. And don't forget like Tantalus and stuff like that, right? Like <laughs> online games, dude. It's online, yeah. actually online games. Or Tanneris, right? It was Tanneris. Tanneris, Tanneris. And there was another one that was, um, wasn't there like a, there's like a top-down infantry, maybe it was called infantry. It was called infantry. It was, called yeah. infantry. It was, it was out of the casual games group, right? There was, yeah. there was infantry and there was the space one uh, as well. And I think Rod Humble was in charge of that yep. stuff originally, right? Yep. Um, yeah. I don't remember the name of the space one, like subspace? No, I, I, don't, I don't remember the names, but yeah. Uh, Xbox Fan UK, EverQuest invented instancing? Well, not entirely. Um, the instancing was an idea that at the time we took from um, Anarchy Online had single-player instances that were procedurally generated mission spaces, I believe. But that was one of those things where we looked at it and went, this may solve some of the zerging problem and allow us to do other stuff. Can it be done? And then it eventually was done. Right. Um, Hyperplasma shortcake. How did you make? Uh, how did it make you feel when the high-end raiders would get angry at the development teams for issues they were having? Uh, There's quite a few quotes from people like Kaplan uh, that still float around. I get linked some even now. Yeah, I mean, I I think he actually has some great uh, 
in his current role, some great quotes about, hey, try and be nice to dev teams because he was not nice to dev teams in the past. Um, right? Like, yeah, I can respect that. I, yeah, right. no, I'm not going to try and throw any shade. He's super successful, super smart guy, makes amazing games, right? But hey, as a player, dude, you're, you're pretty shitty, um, right? <laughs> a lot of people were shitty, right? I mean, I remember getting from, from Alex, right? Like, you've got 14 days to fix your effing game or my entire guild is quitting, right? Like, we discussed that here yesterday. <laughs> so, like, I, I, it's easy to get an us versus them attitude. The, the attitude you need to have as a game developer is I'm trying to create entertainment for other people, right? So we're trying to entertain them. We're trying to entertain ourselves and everyone else too, right? But, like, it's real easy for people to get head down and get offended and, and whatnot, right? Like, you just have to go to the what's the root cause of, of what they're complaining about? Is there something that you can fix? Is it something that's right to fix? Is it right for everyone for you to fix this thing or change this thing, right? Mm. Uh, like dealing with feedback is like a whole art unto itself of making sure you're solving the right problems for the right people uh, in these online games and as they get bigger and stuff, right? Like you're just one persona out of many personas playing these games. And yes, of course, you personally feel like the game should completely cater to just you. But you know what? There's hundreds of thousands or millions of other people playing this product too. Um, hey, in some cases, like, hey, we fucked something up completely. Yeah, you're right. You should be angry that this mob didn't drop loot. Like, yeah. Or this thing wasn't done or whatever, for sure. Um, I, would, I would say that it's in, in you know, defense of a lot of people that haven't been in a situation where um, they, they've been part of the creative process and seen just the degree of subjectivity or the number of opinions. Um, it's like, okay, you're just not aware of kind of what you're saying. I do remember there was a fanfare where we had a panel and somebody asked like a brutal question that was just like, why are you basically, why are you so stupid? Um, and the, the, Question wasn't directed at me naturally because I never make mistakes, but <laughs> in defense of the, the person that like did um, like implement or whatever, I, I asked the room, I was like, so, or I asked him, what is your solution? And he, he said his solution. I was like, does anybody in here, and it's like 200 people, does anybody in here disagree with that solution and have a different solution? And hands just went up. Cool. What's your solution? Person number two, completely different shit is this guy right? Right. And we did that for a few times before I was like, all right, I, I think we get the point here. So, um, and you're doing that with hundreds of thousands of players. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm not going to like cry ever about player abuse. It comes with a job, but just to put it in perspective so people understand, like, so when I was, you know, lead designer and then EP on Rift and stuff, right? Like I would read the raw feedback reports literally every single day. The number of times I've been told to kill myself or that I should fire my team or I should be fired uh, is a little bit too damn high. Um, it sucks. I don't let it eat at me, uh, but I am a human, right? Everyone that is reading those things is a human being. Um, I think Hartsman has some of the, the best advice about like how to talk to players in your community and stuff, right? And it's just, you know, I mean, he doesn't say this, right? But like, just don't be a dick, right? The Will Wheaton quote, just don't be a dick. And, you know, Hartsman's advice is, like, talk to people like they're your friends. Like, if you're having a real conversation with them in front of you, just be a real person. Don't get offended. And, you know, we're all, like, yes, we as developers are on one side of this and players are on the other side, but we're all trying to play a great game or make a great game or be part of the same community. And I don't want to die. I don't want the players to die. <laughs> I, I wish they didn't want me to die. Uh, but, you know, 
Yeah. And uh, I, I will say that um, despite some of the, the shit that was talked on forums or whatever back in the day, what I noticed was every time we had a fanfare and everybody was just kind of around each other, <laughs> like I saw none of it. Like I, 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 there's the occasional sort of start of like, Oh, I'm a little bit. And then we talk and it's like, okay, man, I get it. Talk it through and people understand like you become humanized, right? One of the, the terrible things about the internet and text is it allows you to dehumanize and just assume the worst thing about everyone on the other side. Like if, if yes, if there was a point in time on Rift where I had to beat revenue out of the players to keep things going. Yeah. You should be upset at me, but hopefully you understand why I'm doing that. I'm not doing that to make myself rich and to buy like a Ferrari. Like I wish, I wish I had a Ferrari. I don't. I'm just a dude that works on video games. I've done quite all right. I'm not going to complain about it. Um, but yeah, once you actually start talking to people face to face, it's so much better, right? Like we could go on a whole rant about like the internet as a whole and internet culture, but we're not going to go there today. No. And, and honestly, not too ranty here. Tend to be pretty upbeat to your point of vertigo tea party. I, I wouldn't um, change it. I wouldn't change the interacting with players. So. Yeah, I, and I, I do agree. Like better communication from the developers to the players, always it's always one of those things to strive for and, and look at. And yeah, I think you have a point there. Um, and that's something I carried with me through my career to date. Is uh, you know, I, we I fuck stuff up, we tell them. I have a Honda Accord because I sold my 2002 Honda S2000 when I had a child, and I love my child more than I love my car, but I miss my car. Honda Accord. Does that, that's not one of the ones with the fin on it, right? I don't have a car. I don't, I don't know if you ever saw my, my S2000. It was a little convertible. Um, uh, probably if you had it back in the day. Yeah. Oh, I got it when I was working on Vanguard. So okay. you might have seen it at a party or two. But yeah. yeah. I, I, I miss my Toyota Tacoma. Um, I sold my truck when I moved from texas to germany i haven't had a vehicle since um so you're living the civilized life oh my god it's so civilized i just walk everywhere that's why i'm thin and beautiful and i eat baguettes and what is it that europeans do um nah, but i do walk everywhere that part's true um all right do we are we still got 10 minutes and i am uh we can Finonius, uh, who are these devs? I played Rift and Vanguard. You're coming in at the tail end, buddy. Sorry. We'll have the VOD up and you'll be able to answer that question for yourself. Um, Bill, do you have anything else for us while we still have 10 minutes of your time? And uh, will you come back on at some point? Um, I'll absolutely come back on at some point. Um, you know, line those questions up in advance. I mean, I have so many like little stories that can become big stories about EverQuest and my time on it of like this one, this, this, I'm just going to tell a little story that I believe Do it. is true. Maybe, you know, from customer service days, if this is true or not. So, um, so I played on Vishon, right. And, uh, that's where a majority of Japanese players played on. Like they just picked it as the server to play on. And I remember, being at work and hearing about an issue that happened. And I think Brad told me this, right? He was like, dude, you're never going to guess what just happened. We just, cause Brad also played on Vishon. It's like the GMs just had to like, they were about to ban a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of Japanese players. And we then went and looked at the company and the credit card. And I was like, well, what, what do you mean? What do you look at the credit card? You're like, well, yeah, but here's the thing. We decided not to ban them 
all because, uh, you know, just give them temps. Because it was the Square uh, company credit card paying for like 20 accounts. So the people that make Final Fantasy and now Final Fantasy Online, etc. I am told they were paying for like 20 or 30 accounts back in the day, like in 2000. Um, and one of their players was exploiting him. was enough to get him banned. And then they looked at the credit card and were like, let's not ban him. That would be impolite. Yeah. Uh, I'll just say, because I don't know the specifics, but it was always interesting. Some of the bands that we ran into where it was like, when you look at the account details and it's like, I've got to run this up the chain because I'm not sure I'm allowed to ban this person. Someone else is going to have to do that. Yeah. That, that needs to go to a manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I need to speak to my manager. Um, yeah. Come get some, 509. And Jaspers, if I missed you an hour ago, sorry, buddy. Um, both of y'all, thank you for the follows, and thank you for being here. Um, and, Bill, thank you for coming on. This was just over two hours. What I'll do at the – basically when I'm out tonight or maybe early in the morning, we'll see when I log off tonight. Um, I'll just clip this down the way I did with Scott and Ryan so that we'll have the VOD and we'll post it. Um, and then we'll talk a bit and kind of see like, uh, where you're at and what you're, what you're thinking in terms of coming back in. Um, always come hang out with us and chat. If you have time, check out the Twitch, get a little more Twitch familiarity. I hear it's the future. Um, and yeah, man, it's been amazing catching up with you. Good to read. I need to grill you on stuff at some point in time, but yeah, we definitely need to catch up. Uh, like you said a couple times, um, I'm bad. I've been really bad at keeping up with folks as well, and it's that's part. part of what I'm doing here. We, yeah, we're at different places, and you're working with folks, and you're doing your thing, and that is like, that's life, right? Like, and. <laughs> And this is really for me more than anything. It was just, I thought this might be a cool opportunity to do this, like reconnect. Honestly, the fact that there are people watching, thank you very much for, for watching us. Um, but really it was just a cool opportunity to finally like start getting some of these stories, get them recorded. We'll have some more come up. We're not going to all be here uh, at some yeah. point in time. And some exactly. hear this stuff. like there's plenty of stories I'd love to tell about Brad that, you know, that I could tell at some point in time. Uh, that are, you know, personal stories for me and him, not his family stuff, but you know, getting that stuff out there. Like when, you know, I don't want to get all teary eyed again. Right. But like, it was a punch in the gut to hear that news. He's 10, he was 10 years older than me. Right. Mm. Um, and you know, hearing about Hutch and stuff like that, like not not trying to end this on a down note. Right. But like, Like I'm reaching a point in my life where like friends are dying and that's not cool. So I want to talk to the friends I've had. Absolutely. No, I don't think it's a down note. I think it's, I think it's just, it's an important point. And yeah, that is, that is the, that's the weird part when you start to get a little bit older and yeah, yeah we don't want these stories to disappear. <laughs> nah, man, it's weird. It's tough. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And this was awesome. And I will definitely come back. Um, see you guys on the flip side. Right on. Thank you so much, Phil. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. See you.